welcome to Confetti Break on Unsafe Space. I'm one of your hosts, Carrie Smith, and I'm joined by my co-host, Carter Laren. Hello, Carter. Howdy. Today <laughs> I, is... You're not centered, by the way. You need to move over uh, a little bit. Today is Monday, November 15th. And if you're joining us for the first time, get ready for our <laughs> continual tech issues. I'm kidding. <laughs> this is... This is guess what room this is. You don't even know, do you, Carter? Wait, what am I? What am I supposed to be guessing? Guess where I'm at. Oh, are you at your new old house, or are you somewhere else? I'm at my old old house. This is my regular oh. podcast room, and ah. they totally took. We had to move all of our furniture out because they wanted to make it look like a model home, and so every room looks very. It looks like it was a uh, Joanna. What's that woman's name? The, the woman in, at Magnolia. It, anyway, You're in a domain was, of expertise that I do not, yes. that does not overlap with mine. I don't know. It was, it was magnolia The whole house was magnolia and okay. it doesn't look anything like it used to. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> that's my undisclosed location. Uh, welcome. I hope you had a good weekend. You too. You too. Um, I did. It was all right. You know, lots to do, not enough time. It was one of those, I like Saturday went by and I turned to my wife and I was like, I had like a list of 10 things that I wanted to get done and I got one of them done. I was like, I don't know what happened today. Yeah. <laughs> it was just one of those weekends. But um, let's remind everyone, uh, Coffee Break is a show we do live every Monday and Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific slash, what, is it 1 p.m. Freedom Time? 1 p.m. The... Texas Time. <laughs> we have our own time zone. Uh, and then you can watch us on Utreon or on Odyssey, or we are always live streaming at unsafespace.com. So that's the best way to find us. You can also support the show. Thank you to all of us, all of you who support us financially, um, by buying merch or subscribing or all that stuff. And we should announce the book club. Is it this weekend? Is this the book club? Oh, time flies. Yes. <laughs> so book club is Sunday. November 21st, and this month we've been reading one of my favorite books of all time, The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. And I've been seeing, if you're if you're on Facebook, there's a Facebook group for book club, and Amy, a few other people have been, Thomas, Thomas A. Thomas has been posting about it, and Amy, and people are enjoying it and finding a lot of relevancy to what's going on today. So I'm excited for discussion and yeah, you can join us. It's free. It's always free to join and participate. You can just be, you can be in the chat on YouTube like today, or you can email us at speak at unsafespace.com if you want to be in the video chat. Yes. I've started to, I've actually started to listen. I'm listening to it. Claire Danes is reading it. Uh, oh. So I'm listening to it. And I'm probably on like chapter five or something. I'm not that far in, but uh, it's compelling so far. So it's compelling. Yeah. 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 Good. Um, what else? Oh, as a, oh, the book after this one, our nonfiction book, we have picked, but we forgot to pick a date. But if you want to get a head start on that one, it's Black Rednecks and White Liberals by Thomas Sowell. We thought it was time to read some Thomas Sowell. I'm so excited we're finally reading Thomas Sowell. This has yeah. been on my list for a long time. And I, what I found is I really just have to put books on our book, official book club list if I want to read them. To get to them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should have put basic economics on there as Excuse our Thomas Sowell book. Excuse no, me. Just... <laughs> I've already read Dave Ramsey. Oh. Uh, actually, yeah. Oh wait, yeah. hold on. Sorry, hold on for something. There's a there's a 
issue at that. Can't carry on without me. Okay. Uh, I can't hear you, but I guess that's okay. I'm going to read B. Allen's super chat. B. Allen says, I enjoyed Friday's house tour and the lonesome toilet. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I was hoping I didn't make anyone motion sick by with my shaky camera work walking around the new old house. But uh, that room is so weird. It's a because the house was built in 1914. Someone was telling us they think the bathroom was added later, the indoor bathroom. And so they just put it in a large room. They, the room is too large for a bathroom. If you ask me, there's a there's a toilet sitting alone by itself in the middle of the room. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, we can't hear you yet, Carter. It's kind of creepy. That room is a little yeah. bit weird. You walk in and you're like, what kind of weirdo lives here? <laughs> like, there's a giant room and like, and no, I mean, Carrie put up a partition, but there wasn't like right. it was just a giant room and a toilet in like, <laughs> over on the wall. And it's like, what? And, like, I think there was a couch in there. I mean, it's just kind of weird. Yeah, um, and then that tub with the so we're gonna take all of that out and put the bathroom under the stairs. There's a little cubby under the stairs, so we'll just have a half bath there instead. Harry Potter bathroom. Okay. Yeah. For anybody that doesn't care about home renovation, they're like, uh, how long are we gonna have to hear about all this? Well for the next several months. Drop in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A year. You're gonna have to hear about this for a year. Can I tell you something adorable about my husband? So he's been learning all this stuff, like I said, because we're having to do all this home renovation. We're trying to do some of it ourselves to save money, not all of it, some things we can't do. Anyway, sure. he, with a friend who knows plumbing, he did fix the plumbing under the new old house, which was pretty impressive. But one of the things was we had to disassemble my couch to get it out of this house to take it because it doesn't fit through the door. And when I had moved it in, there was someone I hired to us to do that because I didn't know how to do it. So, but he said, no, we're figuring this out. And so it took us about two hours to get the couch apart because it's an old couch. It's from, I don't know, probably the seventies or eighties. It's hardwood and you have to figure out, you have to get in there with the bolts and all the screws were stripped. And so we figured out how to get this stripped screws out. YouTube, you can find all these things on YouTube. We found yeah. a trick for that. And so then after we finally accomplished it, <laughs> He was, I love this about men. He was walking around like with this sense of accomplishment because it's like, <laughs> I conquered the animal, you like the beast, you know. He was walking around and I was taking some paintings off the wall and there were screws there. He's like, you need me to get those screws? He's got the drill, like, you need me, <laughs> you need me to get those screws? I can get those scres for you. <laughs> like, it's so, <laughs> like, hey, little lady, you need me to unscrew something? It, you know what? I will say this. It is uh, there is a sense of I don't know if it's a guy thing. I'm sure that some women feel this sense of accomplishment, but just little around the house tasks like fixing a thing that's broken or like fixing a pipe or whatever, you do get a sense of like, oh, I can yeah. do it. <laughs> I yeah. did that stupid thing. All right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I, women get that too for sure, but it's something really. I don't know. I'd say maybe they I, don't get addicted to it like guys do. I don't know. Yeah. Plus, uh, as a woman, like, I find it really attractive when a guy's like fixes things and, <laughs> you know, the harder the task, the better. It's like I fix the plumbing. I'm like fiddly D. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> well, um, I have a, if we want to get, do you want to get into topics? I have a confession. Yeah, sure. 
I'm kind of I'm kind of addicted to the Rittenhouse trial. I can't <laughs> like I'm going on in the background, and I you know I'm not watching it like glued eight hours a day or something to the trial, but like it's on a couple hours a day at least like in the background somewhere, and I can't, which is unusual for me. I'm not a news follower like that. Uh, it's riveting, um, and it's amazing. It's continuing to be amazing how. Uh, the prosecution's basic position is uh, if there's a riot that's violent and they're burning things, you have you have a couple choices. You're allowed to just not show up. Um, you can't, you know, counter protesting isn't a thing. You can't, you could can just not show up. But if you're going to show up, um, you basically have to allow yourself to be a victim of the mob and killed if that's what they decide to do. Because yeah. anything else, is somehow unjustified. If you bring a gun, he literally said, well, bringing a gun negates self-defense. Like, no, that's not how that works. <laughs> that's like saying, wow. like wearing a seatbelt negates that you weren't at fault for the accident. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, it's it's bringing a gun. Um, so it, it's what's fascinating to me, I like to remember that this is not, I just, I had this, I had this, reminder and I, I just think it's important to remind other people this is not some leftist weirdo arguing with someone else this is this prosecutor represents the state of wisconsin this is your government doing this this is not we're not talking about uh <laughs> ibram x kennedy making crazy arguments about things we're not talking about like the, the crazy people you read about on Twitter are saying absolutely stupid things about, well, you know, uh, <laughs> he might have been grabbing his gun, but how would he know what he was going to do with it? Maybe he was going to put it down and have a peace rally afterward. It's like this like ridiculous kind of stuff. Yeah. It's the state. This is your government. This is the state. This is not crazy leftists. It's the state. I mean, they happen to be crazy leftists, but it's a reminder of, you know, you've got crazy leftist running cities. Mm -hmm. So you've got uh, radical leftists can come in. By the way, they don't care whether they live there uh, when they show up to Black Lives Matter rallies to burn things. Oh, yeah. Right? They could show up, burn things, trash businesses, beat people up, all of the things they've done. Actually, they have killed people in the past, right? All this kind of stuff, they can do it. The leftist governments are going to stand down and not protect you or your businesses at all. Um, and it, should you decide to carry a gun in case, in case you need it to protect yourself, um, your, your only option, according to the state, is, well, if you're attacked, you better just let someone get into a fist fight, possibly knock you out, take your gun, and probably kill you or whatever, you know, whatever else they're wanting to do. Um, there's no – the state doesn't even seem to recognize the right to self-defense at all. And the arguments they're making are so convoluted and so dishonest. They had they tried to get him on an illegal weapons charge, and the state yeah. was arguing with the judge about it. And the judge was like, "Well, it was about it had to do with the length of the the AR." The judge was like, "Well, we have the AR, right?" And they're like, "Yeah." Well, he's like, "Well, why don't we just measure it and see if yeah. it violates the rule?" And the prosecution's like, "Well, they retracted. Well, it's we're not arguing that it's legal." Well, well, you charged him with it. What do you mean you're not arguing? 
Like you were just arguing that two seconds ago until the judge said, how about a tape measure? And then the state's like, well, never mind. Yeah, I saw they threw that. So actually I sent you, uh, I sent you a link to you and Beverly to put up this tweet. This is from a journalist. And I sent it to you because I think, I think it highlights the two different worlds that we're living in and the, the, one of the reasons that it's so hard for us to have conversations around controversial issues like this or, you know, this controversial um, case, because people have completely different understandings of the constitution, of the law. Of So this is a journalist named Jackie Schneckner, blue check mark on Twitter, formerly with CNN, HCAN and current TV. Okay. So she says, <clears throat> she says, okay, so we are saying Rittenhouse, a 17-year-old without a gun license, is allowed to take a rifle from a friend's house and roam the streets with it. How is that legal? That's a journalist. Well, right, yeah. And let's just but, point out, what is a gun license? And the answer is, it is legal. Journalist. Yes. It is legal. So from a leftist point of view, that tweet is not weird. From a leftist point of view, they because they're coming from a different frame of thinking about it entirely. They think you need a license. They think you need some kind of special permission to arm yourself. They don't understand. I mean, it's a it's a completely way of framing the entire issue because people on the right are like, uh, the Second Amendment, you know, <laughs> shall not be infringed. Right. Where and people on the left are like, he's under seventeen. Therefore, it's illegal. Yeah, it's just that's just not the way it works. I mean, there were rifle clubs in high schools not that long ago, right? So, yeah, they certainly want to make it not legal. Um, That's definitely the leftist perspective. But, yeah, I just find it fascinating that they they make these arguments as if, uh, you know, showing up with a gun is asking for trouble showing up with a gun makes it automatically not self-defense. It's like, I, you know, that's not true anywhere. I mean, they've, I also saw someone on Twitter today say, well, if a black person showed up carrying a firearm to a right-wing rally and used it in his defense after they attacked him, would you be defending him? And yeah. everyone's like, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yes, we would be. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) Welcome to intellectual consistency. (laughs) What does that color have to do with anything? And by the way, everyone involved in this case is white. We need to remind people that because a lot of leftists still think Kyle shot black people. Not that it should matter, but it does to them. And they think. Well, it should not matter. But yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't. I don't. We, I don't really want to get into it. There's just a lot going on, and their closing arguments are going Can on now. Can I just now. say something about so. the whole? He was asking for it. Uh, I yeah. actually, and probably you and I. This is one of the places when we first discussed this way back when it happened. You and I disagreed on this a little bit. I think there probably was something in him that was looking for a fight. That's just me. But that's not illegal, and he didn't start it. And it. That's like saying she went out wearing a very short skirt. She was asking to be raped. No, she was not. She Was she well, looking I, for a hookup? Do you know what I mean? Like maybe, but that doesn't matter. That's not illegal. That's not illegal for him to go to a place to try and protect businesses from rioting and to offer first aid. There's nothing yeah, so wrong I, about that. Yeah, I just, uh, let me draw the distinction 
for, for me, the distinction. Uh, if I had a friend who was, let's say, dressing like a hooker <laughs> and going mm -hmm. out, right, in, in some unsafe way, or I had a friend who was taking an AR into, mm -hmm. um, into a situation like that, I probably would say a similar thing to both of them. I'd probably say, I know you're not looking for bad things to happen, but, you know, this is probably not the best way to go about it. I, to Kyle, I'd probably say, now he's a tough situation because he's 17, so he probably couldn't conceal. But I would say, look, have a concealed pistol so that at least you don't look like you're looking for trouble, but at least you have something. Um, and so, but I don't know if I could say that to him at 17 legally. Uh, and to the woman, I would be like, look, you know, if you're going to a party that way and you want to look like that at the party or whatever, maybe put on something over it so people don't see you on the way to the party because you're going to be on the subway or whatever and like whatever right. it is. And they don't, it's not a, they could both say, no, I hear you. I hear what you're saying, but I choose to do this. It's like, okay, that's fine. Like I'm just giving you kind of practical advice about practical advice, what yes. happens in the world when you do certain things. There's nothing wrong with dressing sexy or wearing or bringing your AR-15, but you know, I've given practical advice, but when it moves into the trial phase where he's been arrested for right. using his gun or she's she's claiming she was raped or whatever. At that point, I just throw all that out. Like, it doesn't exactly. matter. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, well, I agree. It's irrelevant. They're, they're trying to be mind readers and they're trying to place guilt on a behavior choice that is not illegal. Regardless of whether you personally you can't, you would can't wear that be a mind reader. Shirt. Yeah, you can't be. Right, you have no idea. You have no Excuse idea me. why she was wearing just a short one second, Carter. Carter. I'm going to try and mm -hmm. turn on this light because it's bothering me hold on okay um yeah anyway that's how i would treat it i don't and you're you're seeing a lot of people conflate um intention with uh provocation legality like legally they're saying well he intended for it and the truth is everyone there that he shot you could make the same argument about whether or not they brought a gun like, well, they were lighting fires and chasing people and to get into fights and beating them with skateboards. And one guy did have a gun like you kind of were looking for trouble, too. And the, the unnamed boot man who, like, jumped and kicked him in the face, like all you guys are looking for. You're all looking for trouble. So right. if I if I go by behavior, Kyle actually was the one who wasn't looking for trouble. If I go by a cliche that the left wants you to believe, which I believe is mostly projection, which is that you only bring a gun because you're looking for trouble. That's something that, uh, you know, the left would only do right because they are looking for trouble and they they view guns as, an, as a way to intimidate people. And and this is like they don't view them as self-defense tools. They view them as aggressive tools. Um, so the leftists would bring a gun only if they're looking for trouble. But a lot of people don't. A lot of people view a gun like a seatbelt. So their intention of bringing the gun is completely different. And as I said, Kyle probably couldn't take a concealed – I don't know the, the law, but he probably usually concealed carry laws. You can't – as a 17-year-old, usually you can't get a permit. Most places require a permit. So <sighs> all right. <laughs> we don't have to go on about Rittenhouse. Let's, we had one super chat from B. Allen. He says, oh, I read that one. Oh, you did that? Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, what else has been going on with you, Carrie? I've, there's, I've well, paid a few attention to a few other things, but. Oh, yeah. I've been, because I've been so distracted with the house stuff, I've paid attention to the Rittenhouse trial, not as much as you. I've just been looking at the way the media is talking about it. Before we get off the subject, just oh, quickly, yep. I, there was a New York Times piece. I was trying to find it, but 
it may have been the one that that journalist leaked to, but essentially I'm reading it and I'm sure people will have this, this, they'll know what I'm talking about. I'm reading it and I'm getting every sentence, almost every sentence or every other sentence is biased. It's coming from a certain point of view that the author is assuming to be fact when it's not fact, it's an opinion. And the author is assuming that you, the reader, agrees with them when you may not, when it's not a fact. And I just was thinking about how common that is now when when journalists are writing about something like the Rittenhouse trial or they're writing about COVID or, or whatever it is they're writing about, Trump. And once again, I found myself wondering, is it that it's so much worse now or is or is it that I just didn't notice it before because I was in that cult and so it didn't stand out to me? I think it's both, probably. I was going to say, in fairness to you, I think it's both. I, I do think bias has existed for a long, long time, but I think they're, they are uh, not to... <laughs> here's an analogy. Their mask is slipping, right? <laughs> like, not their COVID mask, but their objective journalist mask has yes. been slipping for a while. So I like. there's always been the Walter Durantes, and I think always there's been a bias in the media, always. Um, but I think it's been harder to detect and more subtle. And I think right now you're seeing um, – the reason you keep your bias subtle – is if you're kind of self-aware of it, right? right? You, you like, and 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 you know that well, it'll be viewed as bias and blah blah blah. Once you kind of lose touch with reality and you're in an echo chamber, yes, you no longer feel the need to hide it. And so it, they think they're. I think what's happened possibly with social media, but maybe other causes, there have been these creations of journalism echo chambers in which they no longer feel the need to hide their bias because they can't tell that they have it. Yes. That's what it is. It's it's these pieces are being written from the point of view as if they don't even realize they have a bias. They're writing as if their opinion is fact. And sometimes it's I, I also wonder, is it a purposeful attempt on the part of some of these people to mislead the public or is it just that they are so far in they can't see it? They may be misled themselves. I mean, a lot of them are tools, right? Um, tools of an ideology that's got them in, in its grips, as, as you would have said in the past, right? So um can i some send of them you, is probably intentional though some of it's probably intentional do you guys have Re the ability to open up a new york times piece uh one of us probably I'm, i might okay. i don't know if i do okay um i hope I beverly does i don't give them a dollar <laughs> so well you can always go copy it and copy the url beverly and stick it in archive.org and get an archived version of it usually so so um, this is a piece that is, it's actually not about Rittenhouse. This is another piece that I read where I was thinking the same thing. And Nicholas Christakis shared this. You know who he is? Yeah, he's the guy at the Yale, was it Yale? The Yale professor yeah. who mm -hmm. was one of the, the way that the social justice war warriors, you know, piled on him and attacked him and his wife. That was one of my early wake up calls that something was wrong with my belief system. But he, like like some of the other heterodox thinkers of late has they've kind of started to, I don't know, they're saying weird things. I've seen Jonathan Haidt say some weird things as well. People are flagging me in some of this stuff, like watch this video, listen to what they're saying here. And yeah. I would say they're buying into a false narrative. Maybe not on, on the whole, but in a small part, they're buying into something false. And, and this is one of those things. Nicholas Christakis shared this and he basically said, you know, 
when do we use our guns to defend our, our freedom and our rights? And he said, never, you know, well, it's almost as if he's reading this New York times piece. Never. He's almost, it, yeah. Well, first of all, that's false Speak for yourself, bud. <laughs> that's false. But secondly, I think it's almost as if he's reading this New York times piece and he's taking it at face value that this is true. He's that he's accepting this narrative. And so this piece is called menace enters the Republican mainstream. Okay. So, Automatically, it's from a slanted point of view, as if menace is somehow uh, something that Republicans own the market on. They cornered the market on, right? So menace enters the Republican mainstream. That also implies that it's always been there on the extreme part of the Republican Party, and now it's entered the mainstream of the Republican Party. Um, by the way, what does this sound like to you? Because I'll tell you what it sounds like to me. It, so it sounds like what happened to my party, the Democratic Party. Menace entered the Democratic Party from the extreme, from Antifa, from social justice, and it took over the party and cannibalized it. And that's why I haven't voted Democrat since 2016. But that's not true. I voted for Tulsi Gabbard in the primaries. Threats of it, violence have become <laughs> – I'm just reading this yeah, thing. Threats it. of violence have become commonplace among a significant part of the party as historians and those who study democracy warn of a dark shift in American politics. That's fascinating to me because if anything – I see way more threats of violence from the left. Mm -hmm. Way more. There, it's Twitter yes. is is plastered with threats of violence, and last year was plastered with actual violence in cities all across the country. Yes, from leftists, like yes. not just threats, but actual violence. And the only thing that the right, I mean, there's been a few incidences here and there, but I mean, with January sixth, I mean, look at how they overreacted to January sixth. Yeah, right. It's. I think they were using the phrase. A lot of them were using the phrase like the, the most violent thing since the Civil War. Like it's like they just it's it's absolute hyperbole. Um, but I but I, this is why I think we need a national divorce. But this is also why I've always when when I think I think people who watch this show know this when the leftist professors. You know, I like Jonathan Haidt's book. I like what he had to say, but this is why I didn't get on board with a lot of these so-called liberal professors who did not understand or at least articulate in a way that made me believe they understood the philosophy behind this and the roots of this. They have this attitude that things were fine and now it's gone a little too far. And with that attitude, you lose. Things were not fine. The wrong premises have been adopted. They've been adopted for decades and decades and decades. In, in, unless someone like Jonathan Haidt comes out and says, when, they, when he wakes up, if he, if he doesn't say, here's how I played a role in this, here are the premises that I pushed and I adopted that allowed this cancer to grow, and and flourish and become what it is. Then I I question the, the that they really. I'm not questioning that they're genuine or not. I, I can't speak to that. I, I don't know. I wanna, don't want to question their heart. But I don't think they get it. They don't yeah, they really don't. get it. Um, and I don't know. I don't know about Nicholas Christophus, but um, in another guy that we've interviewed that I really like is Brett Weinstein. I really like a lot of what he has to say. I don't think he gets it. I don't think he gets it philosophically. Um, I think he's still a pragmatist. And I think he's still he's still buying into leftist premises that will end up uh, undermining his ability to actually fight this threat. So, you know, I don't know if I agree with that, but but I do think that there are some I think who don't get it, and I would put, gosh, 
lately, I would put Claire Lehman in that camp. Yes. <laughs> like yeah. does not yeah. get it and does not get how the authoritarianism that we're seeing as it relates to the vaccine mask mandates on the stuff, how that is tied to the authoritarianism in woke ideology that it's not like these things are connected. Anyway, um, can I read? Yeah, and, this and they're connected to and yeah. I just want to like and there they are connected to the history of uh, left leftist thought that like you, even if you rewind to the 80s and read what was written by philosophy professors and English professors and people in academia from the left, it's not disconnected from where we are. They didn't suddenly veer off course. They've been going down this road our entire lives. They just finally got to uh, an exit on the road where we noticed them. They're, they're finally close enough that mainstream is going, whoa, 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 where are you going? Like, well, they've been going the, that way for a long time. But the reason why I say I don't necessarily agree about uh, Weinstein is because He's one of the first people I heard accurately describe that they have a different exit than liberals. Like he, he talks about in his um, lecture called uh, how the magic trick is done. He talks about how liberals make the mistake of thinking that, that social justice leftists are like them and they're walking on the same road. And he's like, yeah, you may be walking on the same road to a certain point. And then they, you veer off entirely in different directions. And that mistake of thinking, well, because we're on the same path right now, that we're always going to be on the same path. It's no, that, that social justice leftists are not allies of liberals. Yeah, no, I think that is true and that analogy is fine, but it, yeah. it, I don't think he has correctly identified the philosophical premises. Like I don't hear him talk about collectivist ideology as such and uh, individualism as distinct philosophically from collectivism. And that being the root of this evil, the root of this evil is collectivist thought. It's the root of the evil on the right. It's the root of the evil on the left. It's the root of bad behavior and evil ideologies. It's collectivism. Um, and you can make it racial collectivism and you can make it class collectivism. Uh, you can make it all different sorts of collectivisms. You can, you can dress it up in lots of different garb, but the moment you accept collectivist ideology, which comes with an altruist ethic, you, you're dead. You can't defend individualism and you can't defend individual rights. And I don't yeah. think Weinstein has articulated that. And maybe I'm wrong. Has. Maybe he has. I think he has, but in maybe not using the exact terms that you just did. But I, but in that that particular lecture, I think he did. Um, so this, I just want to read this. And in con, yeah. okay. So this is this is how it starts. It starts with an anecdote in this New York Times piece. It starts with a story of one person at a microphone, one citizen asking a question. At a conservative rally in Western Idaho last month, a young man stepped up to a microphone to ask when he could start killing Democrats. Now, notice that's not in quotes. That's their characterization of what he said. Okay, so they're already playing with you. They're already playing with me. They're already telling me what he said. They, why not just quote it? But anyway, so then because he didn't say to, that. That's why. Right. <laughs> right. So then they go. Then they say, "Quote." When do we get to use the guns, he said, as the audience applauded. Quote, how many elections are they going to steal before we kill these people? End quote. Now, the who's local, he talking about there? They didn't give the full context of what he said, but I assume he means people who are pushing tyranny. Who knows? The local state representative, a Republican, later called it a, quote, fair question. In Ohio, the leading candidate in the Republican primary for Senate blasted out a video urging Republicans to resist the, quote, tyranny 
of a federal government that pushed them to wear masks and take FDA authorized vaccines. Now notice how they, they throw in, they don't say take vaccines. They make sure to rub it in your nose. It's FDA authorized, you dumb hicks, right? Which right. doesn't mean anything anymore because the FDA has now said they're going to defer, they're deferring all the studies that need to be done that usually have to be done before you can put a vaccine on the market. Those are all being deferred. They've just deferred all the ones for kids and pregnant women to 2023, 2024, 2026, 2027. That, you that's when the results secret? are due. What? FDA authorization never meant anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, even if you believe it did, like me, it no longer means anything. Okay. Quote, when the Gestapo show up at your front door, the candidate Josh Mandel, a grandson of Holocaust survivors, said in the video in September, quote, you know what to do. Okay. And in Congress. Well, if you don't identify as Gestapo, I wouldn't worry about that threat. Yeah, if you don't. Exactly. <laughs> and in Congress, violent threats against lawmakers are on track to double this year. Republicans who break party ranks and defy former President Donald J. Trump have come to expect insults, invective, and death threats, often stoked by their own colleagues and conservative activists who have denounced them as traitors. Hold on for a second. Do they comment on, do they let us know if the same is true for Democratic congressmen? They don't. They don't tell us this is not true for Democrats. They just don't even ask. And I guarantee you, that it's probably on par the Democrats who don't or not do not toe the Antifa line get the same kind of hate mail that the Republicans do. So already biased. If you if it wasn't true for Democrats, you should let me know that in the piece. You should show me you did your due diligence as a journalist. And it's like, hey, Democrats don't get the same hate mail when they don't. When Remind they don't. me again uh, who the guy who shot the Republicans was supporting. Also, who who was right. it that? Uh, who was it that Richard Spencer said to vote for? I forget, Carrie. Didn't Richard Spencer say to vote for Biden? Hmm. Oh, maybe, uh, yeah, it was Biden. Yeah. <laughs> From congressional offices to community meeting rooms, threats of violence are becoming commonplace among a significant segment of the Republican Party. Ten months after rioters attacked the United States Capitol on January 6th, and four years of a president who often spoke in violent terms about his adversaries, right-wing Republicans are talking more openly and frequently about the use of force as justifiable in opposition to those who dislodged him from power. Okay, again, put a pen in this. <laughs> Ten months after rioters attacked the United States Capitol on January 6th, again, look at the way they talk about what happened on January 6th compared to the, the complete erasure of what happened for over six months last year. There was I'm, just violent impressed rioting. This, I'm impressed that this person didn't call it an insurrection right there. Yeah. Um, that was, that, that's a, that's a win. Um, I, can I, I, why I want to, can I mm -hmm. say something about mm -hmm. this? Um, please. A hidden premise here is that any discussion of, of the use of violence to protect yourself against an increasingly tyrannical government is the initiate they, like they're they're acting as if the government should never be opposed that the initial that talking about violence in opposition to the government is always bad and of course that's true if, if you, you could make that argument if you're talking about a just government but you wouldn't make that argument about the soviet government or the government in that i'm not going to mention the name in the 1930s germany or italy 
or various other governments. And you wouldn't make that case if you believed that this government can possibly become that or is on the road to that. This is a this piece, and it's odd that the leftists have become well, it's not odd. The leftists are fundamentally statists. This is designed to protect the state and only the state. It because the leftists are never gonna say we want they're they're not gonna argue against violence for the state. They're, they want to. They have. They like violence against Starbucks and violence against car dealerships and violence and like random chaotic violence in protest to get the state more power. Yes. That they like, but violence that's used to protect yourself from the state that they don't like. Yes. And these, all of these journalists, forget about the left and right dichotomy. They are shills for the state. All of them are shills for the expansive authoritarian state power. That's what it is. I'm sorry. It pisses me off. No, I think you're right. Okay, so so let's keep going. Yeah. Let's continue because it gets worse. Here's here's we're getting into the part that really bothered me. Political violence has been part of the American story since the founding of the country, often entwined with racial politics and erupting in periods of great change. More than seventy brawls, duels, and other violent incidents embroiled members of Congress from 1830 to 1860 alone, and elements of the left have contributed to the confrontational tenor of the country's current politics, though Democratic leaders routinely condemn violence and violent imagery. <laughs> I remember, and Carrie, I remember how all of them really condemned Kathy Griffith for um, wow. her, I her Trump head. how they did not condemn the rioting the looting, the murder, all the deaths that happened over the summer after George Floyd, all the BLM and Antifa shit, the burning down cities. They didn't condemn it. They Well, they, they were mostly peaceful, Carrie. Mostly peaceful. I remember <laughs> how they wanted us to be okay with this and uh, encouraged it in some cases. Maxine Waters saying, you know, chase these people down. This is a form of speech, speech and an, an expression for them. When the left does violence, it's not violence, it's speech. Right. Exactly. That's the, that's the difference. Exactly. Wow. I just, this sentence just blew me away. It just, wow. And, and elements of the left have contributed to the confrontational tenor. What, look at that soft <laughs> language. Look at that soft language. <laughs> elements, elements of the left, elements, not the, okay. So with the Republicans, it's the Republican Party. With the left, it's just elements of the left. And and they just contributed to the confrontational tenor. That's all. They've just contributed to the confrontational tenor of the country's current yeah, It's politics. tangential to everything. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> What's the, who was it? Was it? I think it was during 2020 or 2019. Who was the, was it a senator, a Democratic senator who said like Antifa doesn't exist? It's just an idea. Who said it was just an idea? I forget oh, who it Biden. was. It was Biden. Was it Biden? It was Biden? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's, it's just, just an, idea. an idea. It, it, it doesn't, doesn't exist. exist. <laughs> but then you got, then you got Democratic, uh, the head of the DNC, right? Keith Ellison taking a selfie with the Antifa handbook. Yep. Because yep. it's just an idea. Well, look, that's just, he's just contributing to the tenor. He's just contributing to the confrontational tenor. That's all. Yeah, that's all right. It's just mostly pe that's, peaceful that's, you know, contribution. It, right. Yeah. No, Rosenbaum and Anthony Huber were only contributing to the tenor of the, the protests. <laughs> that's why it wasn't self-defense. He was just contributing to the tenor. I'm just going to – I want to save this 
phrase so I can use it later. <laughs> I'm just, you know, just contributing to the confrontational tenor of the country's current politics. <laughs> oh, and then they soften it even further. So that's a bridge too far to even say that elements of the left are contributing to the confrontational tenor of the country's current politics. That's a bridge too far. Then they have to roll it back and say, though, Democratic leaders routinely condemn violence and violent imagery. By the way, Republican leaders do. Republican leaders do. They want to pretend like this pissed me off. This is this is one of the, the as someone who hated Trump and hated Republicans. One of the lies I started to see through was how they treated him so differently than the press did than they than they treated Obama and they treated Democrats. So I noticed how they would repeatedly ask him to condemn white supremacy. And he did. He's done it more than any politician. I I, I, I dare anyone to find a politician who on the record publicly has made more public statements against white supremacy than Trump. And they would always pretend like he hadn't done it and would ask him again. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I condemn it. it it's hilarious. What do you mean by it? You're not clear. <laughs> he said we asked if he condemned white supremacy and he said I condemn it. But that no. was yesterday. And we're not right. sure what it meant. Yeah, but then if he says I condemn white supremacy, they they which he did several times. He named it. He but, named he, it. but he doesn't mean it. Yeah, but well, then they say he doesn't mean it. It, it. Just but they just even ignore that it even happened. They would just mm-hmm. say he hasn't done it. The press yep. would lie. Yeah, they gaslight. Mm-hmm. Completely lie. So what is this? What are they doing here at the New York Times? They're saying Democratic leaders routinely condemn violence and violent imagery. What's being left to the imagination there for the cult? Think about the people who are reading this and are not reading through all this crap like we are. Think about their echo chamber of sheep who read this and swallow it up, heaping doses of this. And it's it's repeated. It's like in Brave New World where every night the kids would go to sleep and they would get programming pumped into their head. It, w- it was called hypnopedia and they were programming them full of information. This is programming. They read this and what's le- what does the brain do? The brain solves the equation without even thinking about it and says, oh, Republicans don't condemn violence. That's exactly what the brain does. It's it's like those studies that say when you're in an airport and you hear someone talking on the phone, that if you only hear one side of the conversation, you only hear their side of the conversation, your brain is more, you're more annoyed by that than if you hear two people sitting there talking and you can hear both sides because your brain starts without you even doing anything reflexively on its own. It's trying to fill in the gaps. Your brain is like, trying to fill in the gaps of conversation. And so you notice it and you get annoyed. That's what your brain is doing here. It's like Democratic leaders routinely condemn violence and your brain says, oh, Republicans don't. <laughs> like, it's amazing. But okay. Yeah, so, I mean. <clears throat> now look at this. Like, I want to continue. Listen to this, Carter. But historians and those who study democracy say what has changed has been the embrace of violent speech by a sizable portion of one party, including some of its loudest voices inside government and most influential voices outside. In effect, they warn the Republican Party is mainstreaming menace as a political tool. I am not a Republican or a Democrat, but this really makes me want to become a Republican. (laughs) I, I mean, look, this this falls into the category of they they denounce loudly everything that they're doing and accuse the other person of yes. doing it. That's that's all this is. I mean, this is from the party that said, uh, <laughs> you know, we're going to force you to wear masks. We're going to force vaccine mandates. 
where, where our patience is running thin. Like this is from overt authoritarians. This is keep in mind they have now become overt authoritarians, and they're like, "Hey, these people are trying to stop our authoritarianism. Our yes. they're, they're mainstreaming menace as a tool. <laughs> Get back yes. into your cage." Yes, it's complete projection. It's what we've talked about before. It's it's not just projection. It's uh, what did we call it? They're trying to inoculate you your mind against being told what's really happening. They're trying to inoculate you against you. They're trying to preemptively, yeah, preemptively, preemptively. inoculate you. Yeah. <clears throat> so so that, that you can't. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, it's, 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 um, first impressions matter, right? This is a tactic. So, um, if you know you're going to do something horrible, like, um, I don't know, use fear as a tool to control people and increase your authoritarianism. Uh, <laughs> What you might do is instead of doing it and then letting the other side criticize you and having to respond, what you do is you you first you just throw out this idea that it's the other side who uses fear as a tool. It's the other side who does all these horrible things. And now the other side's on defense and like we're not doing that. And then you do it. And if anyone criticizes you, yes. you're just like, well, pot calling the kettle black. We were already looking at you. Yeah. Right. So like exactly. if you're the murderer, you point it's it's the same reason if you're the murderer yes. in the, like in the stories you point to someone else. I think yes. it's Carrie. It's gotta be Carrie. And Carrie's like, no, it's Carter. Oh, you're just saying that because you're already accused, Carrie. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> like, yeah. This is yeah, this is exactly normal. Right. This is what you do when you're when you have no morals and you're a psychopath or sociopath yes. and you intend to get away with something, this yes. is what you do. This is Darvo. This is deny yes, reverse victim mm-hmm. order. Yeah. It's Darvo. Yeah. We are going to accuse the Republican Party of what we, the Democratic Party, are doing. Right. But you do it's preemptive Darvo. Preemptive. Right. Because there's yeah, it's preemptive Darvo. And then as the victim or the person being accused, you're like, hey, that's what you're doing to me. <laughs> like, right. what, what the what the F? And I haven't talked about it because I, I didn't know if maybe I should just ignore it, if it would make it worse if I talk about, you know, like it's like this thing of they're preemptively also cutting off at the past from even going public with what's going on. And that's what's happening here on a massive scale, but with parties. They're saying, hey, the Republican Party's doing this thing. So when you're like, uh, hey, isn't the Democratic Party mainstreaming political violence? Like, no, 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 no. That's the Republicans. We've already told you. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No. We're, all we're doing is burning down businesses and hurting people. Right. They're mainstreaming violence. It's There's mostly peaceful. We're killing yeah. people uh, at, ri- at riots and destroying their business, their family businesses, and their income and everything. You know, but that's but just, when you but when you protect peaceful. yourself, you're the violent one. Um, right. By the way, we're not making this shit up. As as turning on the screw reminds us in chat. Uh, I could I didn't know the quote, but I knew it came from Solinsky. But they pulled the quote out here for us. Accuse your enemies of that which you are guilty. Right. Yes. That's the that's the Alinsky tactic. And yes. to think that Democratic operatives aren't familiar with rules for radicals is just beyond naive. Yeah. So you can imagine the piece just gets worse from there. I wanted to pull out some imagine. of that though for you. Cause it just, and almost every mainstream, like corporate news piece that I read now, it's, it's like that. And that's why I was sort of thinking, is it just, is it just worse? It's probably that it's worse. And also I didn't notice it before. Yeah. I, I think it's both. I think you get credit for, you get some credit because it, it is worse. It's not that you just didn't notice it. Like maybe you didn't notice it, but it also wasn't as bad. So, yeah. 
it's amazing that it's amazing that we have that the sanctimoniousness of the people on the left is just it's just, it's just a thing to behold, right? I mean, here they are. Here they are spouting every major talking point from every major company and and the government. Mm-hmm. And simultaneously thinking they're the progressive rebels. They're the ones that are yeah. They're the they're the thinkers. They're the independent thinkers. They're the ones who are smart and moving forward. And it's the slack jawed idiots who aren't parroting literally every talking point from mainstream media that are the problem. Yeah. I wonder if you went back in time in the sixties and said, This is what you're gonna become if they would believe it. No. They would never they would never believe it. You're going to be a show for a billion dollar pharmaceutical company. No, man. No way I'm doing that, dude. I don't, could they do that? I don't know. But you're still going to think you're the resistance. I know some uh, older, woke, wealthy, former hippies. Okay. And those are interesting people because they don't view themselves as part of the system and the status quo, but they, they are the very definition of this. Like you're, right. you're a limousine leftist. That's what you are. And you're so. Right. They run a, ho- have, they run a studio and they're like, I'm not part of the establishment. Yeah. And they don't have their finger on the pulse at all. They have no idea what's actually going on in the country. And they still have a, their identity is still wrapped up in what they were doing in the sixties. And that's how they view themselves now. It's just a, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly, that's one of the, I haven't finished. Um, obviously I'm only a few chapters into handmade tale, but one of the impressions that I'm getting is like, this was the scare of the eighties, which came out in the eighties, right? Was it like that there's going to be some kind of really, that the, the, the real fear was going to be this religious conservatism granted Islam or whatever, but like that was the, that was the real fear. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like they haven't noticed, I guess this is why they tried to make handmaid's tale now and pretend it's relevant right like that didn't that turned out not to be the big thing to be afraid of like that's that's not the issue that wasn't the issue to be afraid of um yet yeah you know but they've made it that that's the thing is they really believe like this article it's that whole darbo thing it's accusing your enemy of that which you are guilty of the solinsky quote that's what's happening with in the showtime version of the hammy's tale they really are. They really do look around and they think the boogeyman is somehow capitalism and white men and patriarchy and white supremacy. Like they really think that that's what's, that's the world. That's what's going on. They're so in the dark. They have no idea. And, the, and this book is so relevant right now, but not in the way they portray it. You know what the, you know what the fundamentalist religion is right now? It's permeated everything. It's permeated the government, entertainment, journalism, big social. It's wokeism, yeah. and co- yeah. and now Covidian, like the Covidian cult, which is t- meshed in with it, have become it's become meshed in with that. But it, that's what it is. That's the fundamentalist religion. Oh, can I tell you something funny, Carter? Yeah. <laughs> Just a moment of frivolity, and then we can read a super chat. It's fine. Sarah Higdon was in town, or is in town. She's a trans pod. I was on her podcast uh, yeah. and 
anyway, conservative or libertarian rather. And, uh, just a very lovely person. And we, we got to spend part of the day together yesterday in Austin and I had not been down to Congress in a while. So I was experiencing a lot of culture shock because just in two or three years, they've completely rebuilt part of Congress. It looks like we're day or drive. Now there's all these uh, tall multi-level shopping and condo buildings and yeah. you know, behind yeah. them, there's more of them. And yes, and it, and it's thick with people like the sidewalks were thick with people and they all just look like they, they're not, they're transplants. They're not from here. Of course, they're not from Texas. There's, there's nary a cowboy boot to be seen, except like some, there's, there's nothing like it just, none of the old timers were at Joe's coffee. Like it was just all could have been people from Beverly Hills just walking around. And I was trying to maintain my disgust level. And um, we we got further, and and you, I'm talking about entire sections of Congress that within the span of just two years, all the stores have turned over. It's all new stores. It's all chain. It's all upper end, like very expensive, ritzy kind of crap now. Mm-hmm. And all the characters been stripped so much so that old places, the the, the old standbys that are still hangouts that are still uh, haven't been pushed out yet, like the Continental Club, looks so out of place. It's like a sore thumb. It's like the Continental Club that just looks like this old dive bar from another bygone era in the middle of like, you know, Kendra Scott and like Tom Shiz. Just I don't know so, who those people are, but okay. Just they're fancy, fancy pants stores. It's disgusting. Oh, okay. Oh, those so, are stores. Yeah. Right. <laughs> fancy pants stores. And so we, we were walking, we were kind of like, I was taking all this in. And then we got up to uh, even some of the woke standbys that have been there for a long time. They've had to move further out because the rents have become expensive. Anyway, we got to the new Triple Z Threads. And Triple Z Threads is pretty cool. It's been there for I don't know how long, but it's been there for a while. It certainly didn't crop up in the past few years. And they take Pearl Snout shirts and they do embroidery. And I used to like them, but they've gone the same way that some friends went super woke after the acceleration point last year. Some businesses also did. And these guys went off the deep end and having not been in there in a while, you see them now and you're like, like it's gone way too far. So we walk in and right in front of you at the very opening that you're assaulted with, they had a bunch of calendars that said social justice kittens. And it was pictures of cats with social justice phrases. And I always thought those were <laughs> ironic calendars. No, Jezebel loves them. It has a little thing on it from Jezebel with Jezebel's woke. Oh. I always thought and that was parody. Like I've wanted to get someone the social justice kitten calendar because you could. Funny. Whoever made it's probably smart. They probably know people buy it for both reasons. But there's people <laughs> buying it in seriousness. They love it, and it's and it's surrounded by all this other woke stuff. And then we walk to the back, and there's a literal altar with a life size cardboard cutout of AOC with a light around her, like a like the Pope, <laughs> like a shrine, and then a shrine, and then all around her in the shrine are all of those really trendy candles that where they have celebrities and stuff that look like saints i have one of dolly Parton. All of you it. mean like you mean like the the mother mary candles or whatever yes. like the catholic yeah okay yes and they have a bunch of political ones they have beto they have pelosi on a saint candle they have Fauci. you know they, they have all the leftists all the usual suspects and it was just so it was just gross but you know but here's the funny part is i just like to sometimes play it real straight and innocent and just make some just cause an awkward moment and so I took the Pelosi one up to the counter and the young guy was like, are you guys ready to check out? And, I'm, and I was like, oh, do you, yeah, do you have one of these but with Trump on it? And he was like, 
absolutely not. <laughs> he, had, like, <laughs> he had a mask on, but even with his mask, you could see his whole like, oh, like he would. He wanted me to know that I was a bad person, even for asking. It was really funny. I we kept we Sarah and I both kept a straight face. We're like, oh, like sad, you know, like <laughs> just went. <laughs> I don't know, stuff like that cracks me up because I think it's just playing with people's assumptions. That's what's funny about it to me, and 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 seeing what comes out of them, you're kind of like provoking a. There's a bias and a prejudice there, and you just it doesn't take very much for it to just explode. Um, yeah. But anyway, well, I mean, I think this is indicative of the demographics, obviously, that have been like Austin has been increasingly populated by Californians and. Yeah leftist and like that's that's what's happening yeah and it's it's really i mean it's been happening for a while but it really accelerated in the past couple years and i'm telling you for anyone moving here i still think you should come to texas and help us fortify it but i don't i couldn't live down there i couldn't tolerate it i couldn't be around that much just bile like i would i I need to live further north where i do so yeah well speaking of uh Speaking of, oh wait, let's do some super chats for. There's a couple yeah. super chats we'll get to, and then. Cool. Um, G-Man says fires are more dangerous than guns. They can grow out of control and kill many people. Once your finger is off the trigger, a gun can't harm anyone. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I mean, a dumpster fire. It's hard to make that argument. Although, weren't they pushing the dumpster towards a gas station? That seems like it could do some damage. Um, Adam <laughs> Coleman says. But by, by the way, one other thing I hate about the prosecution is. They they are they're like well you could have just shot once, for for Rosenbaum you could have just shot once and then assessed it. like it. It's so odd to hear not odd. It offends your senses to hear someone who's so ignorant of firearms act like they know what you should do in a confrontation yeah. when you have firearms. Like well obviously you should better it's it's almost like. He should have shot him in the leg, and then what he should have done is had a magic bullet, and blah, blah, blah. that's obviously what you would do. But he didn't do that. It's like, yeah, because reality, and you're a fucking moron. That's why. Um, and it, it, uh, it, but the the self righteousness with which they spit out the absolute most ridiculous uh, statements about what you should and yeah. shouldn't do, and like how guns work, and it, it's just there was a guy on Twitter. Um, I think he actually is on CNN. He views himself as a body language expert who made some comment about, uh, apparently he said, well, Rittenhouse made a masturbation symbol when he was talking about like manipulating the rifle. And it's like, have you never, have you never held a rifle? Douchebag. And he, (laughs) he read into that. He was like, this means not only, by the way, not only did he try to use Freud to say that Rittenhouse was using the mask. It was a masturbatory reference with the way he motioned about the rifle, but he then linked masturbation to sadism. And like, so suddenly because Kyle made some gesture on the sand on, on the stand, he is a sadistic, like a sexual sadist somehow. That was the, that was the expert's argument wow. and opinion. Right. And the guy, obviously, you know, you just never held a, gun like he just doesn't he doesn't know how to manipulate guns so he's gonna take everything i that's another example of projection but whatever i think it's just like oh look at what he's doing he's making that what i think that move means is this and it's like really that's where your brain went that's what you think because i think 
he's manipulating, he's like charging an AR. That's what I think. Or what, maybe he was loading or whatever it was. It's like, yeah, I don't, is that, that's where your brain went? Your brain went right to that? Weird. Uh, anyway. All right. Adam Coleman says, showing my support, the gaslighting of America these days is amazing. If you watch the Rittenhouse trial, it's consistent gaslighting by prosecution. It absolutely is. Um, and I think, uh, I'm kind of worried about both ways. I mean, I feel bad for Kyle if he gets convicted because I don't think he deserves it, having watched what I have watched of the trial. Um, if he And if he does get convicted, so let's look at the two. Let's just – I know there's nuanced outcomes, but let's assume like full conviction or full acquittal. If there's full conviction, I, this is a message. This is a message to everyone whose community is – under siege by radical leftists who are hurting yeah. people and burning businesses. Yeah. This is a message to you that you may not defend yourselves. You may not suck it up. That's the message. And yeah. it's, it's giving, it gives carte blanche to those rioters. That's the message. And if, if he's acquitted, I'm concerned because the media has been making it out like, it's a slam dunk and he's going to go to jail and blah, 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 blah. And they're pretending, you know, they're lying about how the trial's going. And so I think there's a lot of, there are going to be a lot of NPCs who, whose programming breaks if that happens. And who knows what they're going to do in the program. There'll probably be more rioting. I think the, yeah. the governor or someone already asked for support, like National Guard or something else. Yeah, I believe so. Um, so. You know, one of the articles I read that I thought was so biased, it, it, it had a line in it, Carter. It said something to the effect of, you know, Rittenhouse claims he was going there to provide, to protect private property and provide medical assistance. And then, and then it said, and there's no, it said as if there's a reason to carry a gun to do those things. And I was reading, I had to read that sentence twice because it blew my mind. I was thinking, okay, yeah, sure, to provide medical aid, I guess you don't, wouldn't need a gun. It, unless you're in a crowd of rioters and looters, you, do, where you might want to protect yeah. yourself. And then to protect private property, yes. What do you think he's protecting it with? Well, what do you think? My, like, yeah. <laughs> my favorite, one of my favorite moments was in the prosecution said to Rittenhouse when he was on the stand, which is unusual, by the way, murder suspects don't usually go on the stand, but he took the stand anyway. And the prosecutor says to him, why would you think people would hurt you if you're just there to help people? If you're just going there to help people. And Rittenhouse goes, well, I was there to help people and they did hurt me. Hurt me. Like, what do you like? Or something like, it was something to that effect. He's yeah. like, why would you think you would be attacked if you're just there to helping people? He's like, well, I was there helping people and I was attacked. It's like, yeah, that's what happened. You fucking crazy radical leftists who, by the way, the people that were shot, all criminals and not nonviolent criminals. Like criminal criminals, kind of uh, screaming around, threatening people, saying the most horrific things, using the N word, like horrible, horrible individuals. Chase the guy. The guy he gets chased down. He can't defend himself. He's supposed to get the prosecution. Literally, is like, well, you should have gotten just into a fist fight. He brought a gun to a fist fight. It's like, no. <laughs> you guys started a fist fight with an armed man. There's a difference. <laughs> There's a difference. Yeah. I, sorry, it, I don't want to keep going down the right now. It just really pisses me off. I'm going to say, go ahead. Let's put up go this ahead. image that Thomas St. Thomas sent to Beverly. This relates to what we were discussing before about the 
hippies who are no longer anti-establishment, who are pro-establishment. If you're just listening at home, this is a cartoon. <laughs> this is a cartoon. Right, and <laughs> on the left, there's a hippie Volkswagen van and, and it has stickers that say bumper sticker. And it says 1971. That's the license plate. And it has stickers that say free speech and free love and, and ban the CIA, screw the establishment. And resist reject, yeah, resist authority. Whatever it says, yeah. And then a peace sign, right? And then, and then on the right, there's a large SUV type vehicle, and the license. The same plate, driver, same driver. Right, and the license plate says 2021, and the bumper stickers say "Obey the establishment, ban free speech, mask up, love the CDC, do what you're told." <laughs> Yes, there you go. That's By the way, if the thing on the right is the spirit of America, if you think the thing on the right is the spirit of America, A, you're wrong. But B, that's not the America a lot of us want to be in. That's not that's not what that's not what was intended. Yeah. Um I just want I want to say something about Elon Musk because the guy has been he's been wiggling his way in this is no, that sounds wrong. He's been wiggling his way into my heart. Elon, I've been liking Elon Musk more and more um, because I think, look, he's admittedly a little bit autistic, right? And and by the way, I, I don't feel like I should have to say this, but I'm going to say this. Saying you like someone doesn't mean you agree with everything they've ever done. Like, just, just knock that crap off. But It doesn't? No, I know. Okay. It's tough to, tough to understand. Um, so Elon has been like slowly, I, he was always kind of outside mainstream thought a little bit but there wasn't he's been waking up in the last few years and we've talked about him thumbing his nose at people and, and doing stuff whatever but if you want to put this up uh beverly i think it's in the notion but uh bernie sanders uh bernie sanders the other day tweets so i'm thinking of it because oh, by I the way this. texas uh, elon moved uh moved tesla to texas right mm -hmm. so bernie sanders writes we must demand that the extremely wealthy pay their fair share, period. And Elon writes, I keep forgetting that you're still alive, which I love. He's just like going, <laughs> going after Bernie. And then below that, uh, he writes, oh, here, you can, you can see it here. Below that, someone else responds and they says, Bernie's the kind of guy that shows up to a potluck with no dish but Tupperware containers to take food home. And Elon writes, Bernie is a taker, not a maker. Wow. Um, this is, look, I, Elon is not a, a philosophic thinker. He's not a political guy. He's focused on tech. That's his thing. I'm not sure what more you could expect from someone in Elon's position. He's seeing through this, this charade right now. And he is correctly identifying, I mean, Bernie as a taker, not a maker, is fundamentally the problem with Bernie's entire philosophy. It's, it's the problem with communism. It's the problem with socialism. He's yep. fundamentally hit the nail on the head, right? This is what um, in an Atlas Shrugged, Rand called the moochers, right? Bernie's a moocher. He's a looter. That's what he is. Uh, so I'm I'm starting to really, I'm starting to really like Elon. <laughs> I just want to say, like, he's been thumbing his nose at people. He's been pissing off the SEC for a while. Um, now he's getting into it with Bernie. And of course, you see a lot of leftists hate him precisely because he's he's not putting up with this crap. And he's, it's not like he's on the right. He's not 
saying any pro Trump or other stuff. He just he's just calling out this crap yeah. from the left for what it is. Uh, and I know we talked about him the other day with respect to was it the World Food Program yeah. or whatever it was. Same kind of thing. Uh, so I think you know I don't think he's a bad addition to Texas guys. He's a billionaire who <sighs> sees through a lot of this shit. Does he get it? Fully and completely, no, but he probably also doesn't care. Right? Yeah. He's, it's not his job to get it. So I just wanted to call him out, say thanks to Elon. I still have a soft spot for Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> why? Can I ask you why? Yeah. We've talked about this before. I know. You, you I know, don't... but I'm wondering if it's evolved over time. I think he's been compromised recently uh and i did not vote for him and i voted for tulsi gabbard was he was he running i can't even was he running and i'm sure he was running and yeah got ignored. <laughs> yeah I, vote, I voted for tulsi but uh but in 2016 i voted for him i i he used to anyway i think I, I felt like he has good intent and i know intent doesn't matter as much to you um and i and i don't it, my views on him have changed a little bit because i think he's changed Ever since he was screwed Would, by the Clinton campaign and by CNN and, you know, ever since that happened, the, the DNC, I think he shifted a little bit. He started speaking woke and I think he's been compromised to a certain degree, but I still think well, he's this like a good-hearted person. I don't know this why. This tweet here isn't woke, right? We demand that the extremely wealthy pay their fair share. That's not right. woke. That's old school Bernie, right? Old he could have tweeted that yeah. years ago. Um, so... Is, but you would you like you still like that about him? I'm just curious. I'm not going to argue with you about. It. I just like, I am no longer Marxist when it comes to <laughs> re, re, redistribution of funds in that way. So no, I don't agree with that policy. But I still think he's a he has good intent. He's just severely misguided about the best way to run the world. I could be completely wrong. I know intent doesn't matter to a lot of people. So. Anyway, I don't know. It's it's. I'm asking because it's interesting. He's the opposite of what I think about Trump, which is, I'm not sure of Trump's intent. Uh, mm -hmm. but he was a bull in a china shop, and I like, <laughs> I like stuff that he was doing generally better than stuff that the other side was going to do. Um, certainly right. better. I mean, you know, better than Biden. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't view Bernie as a good guy, but we don't have to get into that. Yeah. I think he's, yeah. All right. Fair enough. People do, uh, don't like that. He is not a good person, someone says in all caps. Yeah, I agree with all of you guys. <laughs> I'm just not going to tear into Carrie right now because that's not like it's not a productive thing. I disagree with her, but she knows I disagree with her. Already. I know. There's no reason to it's be okay. mean about it. I could um, be completely wrong. I'm just, re it's just my, my yeah. reading people. Sometimes I'm on, sometimes I'm off. Yeah. Uh, you shared. I want to share this picture that you shared, which I think you gave to Beverly. Yes. Um, Wait, don't say who governor. this is. Don't oh, say who shit. this is at first. I won't say. Okay. I just said the word governor. I didn't say where. Oh, yeah. Oh, but, but forget that Carter said who this is. Look at this picture. <laughs> I love this picture. If you're just sitting at home, I'll describe this for you. If you're just listening, this is looks like the log lady from Twin Peaks. Uh, and she has a... Christmas mask, 
but it's not a, just a mask. There's a bunch of flowers and red and green and white carnations coming all around the side of it. And in the center, there's one of those snowballs, the ones that you shake up and like down. Like a snow globe. A snow globe. Yeah. And it looks like a ball gag. It's huge, too. It covers ha- over half her face. Uh, is it, is that I, a real photo, by the way? I can't even. Yeah. This is the governor Seriously? of Oregon. I know. I just, I, I find it hard to believe. I find it hard to believe that it's real. Really? It's got to be photoshopped. Wait, somebody says it's photoshopped. Have I been had? I totally believe this is real. <laughs> I just got to be photoshopped. I retweeted it anyway because I think it's funny, but I just. I, so, oh, people are saying, Rock Lexicon says I could easily photoshop this. Okay, somebody find out for us because. I I'm just, pretty I sure it's kind of. <laughs> it looks real to me. <laughs> and here's the state of the world we're in. I would completely yeah, believe this. I would yes. believe that the governor was wearing this and trying to make a funny statement about, you know, I love Christmas and too bad I have to wear a mask. So I have a festive mask and make the best of it of a bad situation. <laughs> I know it's fake because she probably doesn't like Christmas. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just uh, doesn't this look like the log lady? My my mask who? has something to tell you from Twin Peaks. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't see that. I don't. I don't remember. Oh. Twin Peaks. Uh, someone says it, it. It's of course it's real because it's Oregon. Yeah, I'm sure that it's. I'm sure that it's Photoshop. I'm, I'm almost. I'm not 100 percent sure, but like it's got to be photoshopped. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Somehow, but it's in, it's significant that you can't tell. Somebody says this is the governor of Oregon, Kate Brown. Let us all join together in mercilessly mocking the insane dis- this insane display. Show your coworkers, text it to your mom. These people are nuts. Have a good day. Yeah, that, that can't it can't be true. I'm so, I, mean, I you know what I've said that before. And been wrong. <laughs> it's been true. So Well, Beverly yeah. says that not the bee published it. Yeah, I'm seeing John Lott, Juanita Broderick, but these are all like Yeah. People I don't see I don't I don't know how to tell. Uh Libertarian Party of New Hampshire tweeted it. But you'd you, you just can't tell. You can't tell. You'd have to I, see I, if I, Kate Brown herself posted it. You know? Yeah, yeah I doubt she did. Uh, I don't see any citations. Beverly says, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, I do see citations for something else. Have you, uh, I I know this is a heavy topic, but it's something that bothers me and I want to get into it a little bit. Have you seen the um, map normalization stuff happening recently? No. Oh, yes. Pull up. Yes, I have. Sorry, when you said map, I was thinking, yes. So anybody that doesn't know, this is what social justice people call pedophiles. They call them minor attracted persons. Yeah, I'm using that term just because I wasn't sure I wanted to use the map. But when, yeah. Uh, yeah, p- pull up this if you can, Beverly. Uh, pull up the tweet I've got here. So in, in this... Video. I don't. I, I guess we could watch it. We could watch it and listen to it. I can't tell if 
it's a her or a him. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's a non-binary assistant professor at Old Dominion University, so I don't, I'm not going to guess at the pronouns. But uh, go ahead and play it. Let's, let's just listen to what this person says. So much for that question. Um, I use the term minor attracted person or MAP uh, in the title and throughout the book for multiple reasons. Um, first of all, because I think it's important to use terminology for groups that members of that group want others to use for them. Um, and MAP advocacy groups like Before You Act um, have advocated for use of the term MAP. Um, they've advocated for it primarily because it's less stigmatizing than other terms like pedophile. Uh, a lot of people, when they hear the term pedophile, they automatically assume that it means a sex offender. Uh, and that isn't true. And it leads to a lot of misconceptions about attractions toward minors. Um, I've definitely heard the idea that you brought up, though, that the use of the term minor attracted person suggests that it's okay to be attracted to children. Uh, but using a term that communicates who someone is attracted to uh, doesn't indicate anything about the morality of that attraction. So much for that question. Okay. So I, the point I want to make here is because I, I, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I know a lot of people will hear that argument and be like, well, the term doesn't say anything about the morality of it. And that oh. seems like a reasonable <laughs> argument. No. <laughs> and I, yeah, I want to I make a point here. If there was I'll, – I'll use something that's more obvious maybe. If there was a brain condition, let's say a particular type of tumor that someone can develop that sits on a portion of your brain that makes you want to be a serial killer. That's what it, it makes you want to be a serial killer. It like forces you to just be obsessed about serial. And it's a medical thing. It's a medical problem. If you were to cut out the tumor, you would cease to be that way. So it's not through the fault of that person at all that they have this tumor. One should, st I think, one should still describe that condition in moral terms. I'm not saying you punish the person if they're not serial killing. But you do describe the condition as a problem. It's a and and the reason you describe the position as a problem is precisely because you need to you need to communicate that it's a pro, that it's a problem that it should be fixed. Walking around with a tumor on your brain that makes you want to be a serial killer is a problem. You you shouldn't get convicted if you're not serial killing if you're withholding that. But it should be viewed as like this is a deviation that is immoral it's an immoral deviant tendency it is mm -hmm. bad we do not want people with this brain tumor walking around and we should work hard to be able to correct that brain tumor and figure out how to take it out or whatever to to correct these people's psychology because it's an it results in an evil psychology it doesn't matter whether they're at fault for the evil psychology it results in an evil psychology that's that's not something that you want mm -hmm. the same applies to this the same applies to this. You want a term that carries moral weight. You don't want a term for this attraction that doesn't come mm -hmm. with morality. You you want morality as part of it. It doesn't mean, again, it doesn't mean that if you if someone's quote diagnosed with this that you throw them in jail automatically if they're not ever doing anything. But what what you want is that you want that moral judgment precisely so Everyone knows that person needs to have treatment or be treated specially or carefully, whatever. Like that, it, it, it requires moral judgment. 
it re- you want moral judgment. You don't want to withhold moral judgment from stuff like that. And this argument here is, well, it doesn't say anything about the morality of the attraction. That's the problem. That's precisely the problem. The attraction is immoral. And the term should say something about the immorality of the attraction. Um, yes. I will also, let me just add this on this subject. Yeah. <laughs> they they simultaneously, one of the other, because you know they always, they always push these things with a multi-pronged approach. And their arguments... Uh, can contradict one another and they don't care because they're just using the language they need to in the moment to try and push it. And then they'll contradict themselves over here and they don't really care. So one of the things they've simultaneously been doing is saying that we need to use minor attracted person because we need to remove the stigma. And if you remove the (laughs) stigma, if you remove the stigma, this is their argument for doing so. They say, if you remove the stigma from being a minor attracted person, than people who have attra- attraction to minors, that they will be more likely to study show they will be more likely to seek treatment because they're not going to face the same kind of shame and judgment from people. Now, bear with me. The what the problem I have with this that I see it is, let's say that's true. I'm willing to give you the benefit of the doubt for the sake of argument and say, okay, let's say it's true that if you remove the stigma, more people come forward and seek help. More people will have this. But what what about the studies that what happens to the population at large when you remove the stigma? Where are the studies that show the effect on the population at large? Because what I see happening when you remove the stigma is you normalize something, you take away that moral judgment, and suddenly you have more people who are now suffering from this behavior. Whether that's look at what they did with obesity. Let's remove the stigma around obesity. Let's say you can be healthy at any size. Let's push this fat positivity movement. Social justice people push this as well. What has coincided with that in this country? An epidemic, a pandemic of obesity. We've said, let's remove the stigma around obesity. Holy crap, it leads to more obesity. Who would have thought? And and, and before, I'm not done with just yep, a couple yeah, more. Go ahead, go ahead. They've done the same thing. They've done the same thing with abortion. They said, let's make it safe, legal, and rare. Let's remove the stigma. So people aren't afraid to get it if they need it. Those people who are in the bad situations who need to get an abortion. And, and I know some people in the comments in the chat who are probably pro-life who would say nobody ever needs to get it. But, but you know, that was their argument is that let's make it safe, legal, and rare so that it doesn't happen that often. But let's remove the stigma around it so people aren't afraid to get it if, if let's say, they're the victim of incest and they need to get it. And so then what happened? They said, we're just removing the stigma so more people who were in that situation, who were in a bad situation, who needed it. What happened? Lots of abortions. You've removed the stigma. There are people who are now, we're at the point now where people are saying, shout your abortion. Now there's all these pro-abortion. We went from saying, let's remove the stigma to people celebrating it. Yeah, I was going to say they're proud of it. They're yeah. proud of it. Disgusting displays of pride on Samantha B's show where they did a whole abortion dance and routine. You've removed the stigma and you've normalized it and you've told people to be to treat it so casually and so flippantly. Like it's just like getting their tonsils removed and furthermore, to be proud. Nobody's saying they're proud of getting their tonsils removed, but they're proud of getting an abortion suddenly of murdering, yeah. of killing. Let's say killing. Right, because it's this their the, their in the face of the yes. political opponents. Yeah. We remove the stigma yeah. around abortion. We remove the stigma around obesity. We've uh, we're removing the stigma around now they want 
they want to remove the stigma. We remove the stigma around being trans. They've tried to normalize being trans, something that is not normal. It's not normal. And I say this as someone with trans friends. It's normal. Talk about not having a moral judgment. There's no moral judgment there for me that it's it's abnormal. It's not common. It's always historically affected a small percentage of the population. But we've tried to normalize it and say every child, let's teach every child that they need to decide if they're trans or not. That's that's not now. Are, is it any surprise that the numbers of, of kids who are saying they're trans has skyrocketed? Okay, they would have because it's, it's celebrated like now, just like abortion. It's celebrated. So there's more people saying they're trans and they're getting lumped in with all these people who who actually have gender dysphoria, which is a very small percentage of people. But you've, you've, when you normalize something, when you take away the stigma, how does that affect the population at large? I don't want to see the study, just only the studies about how it affects people who up until now, when it's been stigmatized, have experiences. I want to see the studies about what happens once you normalize it. I want to see the studies about that. What about all the, the population at large? I, yeah, I, I hear you. I actually don't even care about the studies. I want, <laughs> I don't care what they say um, because I, I, let me reveal something philosophically that I think a lot of people don't realize is underneath a lot of this leftism. Fundamentally, they don't believe in free will. If you want to know where they're going with all this, they, they are, they're determinists through and through. And so what they, where, being a determinist through and through is, is, Interesting, because where it leads uh, and where the left wants to go with all this is no one can ever be blamed for their behavior because it's outside of their control, because the universe is deterministic and free will doesn't exist. That's the philosophical undertone to all of this. Now, this person making this argument here might not understand that, but that's where it's coming from in philosophy. And that's the basis. That's the basis of, of a lot of this. A lot of this stuff flows from that. And so there's this idea that, well, we need to find every case in which someone judges someone else's behavior and make an argument that it's deterministic, that they're not responsible for their behavior. Mm-hmm. So like in this case, well, they're not responsible for being feeling this way. Well, that may not, that may be, maybe they aren't responsible. That's obviously the first step, right? But the next step after that as well, they're not responsible for behaving in certain ways. Then if they're not responsible for that, then they're not responsible for this. Like that, they will get there. I know that it looks like there's a gap between those and they'll say, well, no, then there's a free will gap between feeling this way and acting on it. And that's where the responsibility comes in. The left doesn't see that they don't, there is no difference there. They will become They've made this argument about basically every crime already, right? It's, you're a victim of your circumstance, right? This is this is the argument they make. What else, you know, this is why, uh, <laughs> this is why they are so hard on people like Kyle Rittenhouse and so lenient on anyone who is in the category of people that helps their narrative in yes. terms of, well, you know, he's a victim of circumstance. He couldn't help it. Nothing he could have done. You can't yeah. judge him for anything, right? So uh, these people don't believe in free will. And I know that's weird, but they, they don't. Um, you look at how they treat 
Look at how they treat gun violence, right? Look at how they talk about 9-11. The plane did, a plane did some things. Guns do stuff, right? This is not, they don't treat people as individual agents with free will. Yeah. They also, just thinking about the things that they've told us to destigmatize and where it's led, I would also put mental health issues in that list. Of course, yes, because, yes. Yes, and grouped in with that, you have personality disorders, which mm-hmm. are a different kind of mental health issue. And, you know, talking with Josh Slocum, who said, who was the first that told me they used to be called character disorders, which makes a lot of sense to me. They, uh, they told us to destigmatize Or even this. character flaws, maybe. Mm. Yeah, and what's <laughs> happened? There's an explosion of people now saying they have all these different disorders and wearing it as a badge of honor. Again, they've, they took something that had a stigma, they normalized it, now they've idolized it. Now it's like, oh, it's great if you can, if you're in the social justice world and you can check off a bunch of personality disorders and they even normalize disordered behavior. They normalize it. Yes. They say things like you can't tone police. Don't criticize. If someone's screaming and behaving in an inappropriate way and you can't, you, it's tone policing to say that behavior is inappropriate. You can't right. judge. And that, yes. Right? Yeah. And that's, that's how they will fill the gap between um, you have no choice in how you feel to you have no choice in how you act. That's how the determinism will fill that gap, yes. right? Because personality, so personality flaws, i.e. personality disorders, all that stuff, there is a level of free will involved. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but there is. There's a level yeah. of free will involved. Yeah. There's continuing indulgence of that disorder rather yes. than seeking treatment and behavior that uh, is, is aimed at healing. And one of the ways that you cut people off from trying to heal themselves is by wrapping that into part of their identity. And yes. so... Um, a pedophile is is a term that um, largely reflects uh, behavior. It also reflects desire, I guess, but like it largely reflects behavior. So minor attracted person is a very passive term. Um, and it, it will be, I think they're making it. They're making it part of an identity. You'll start, if you haven't already, I don't know, I thankfully don't spend time in this part of Twitter, but people will start putting it in their profiles. Like, oh, they are... They are minor they've already, they've already blah, blah, blah. started. They've already started. Right. Just like, the, okay, great. So just like they have bipolar or I'm borderline or I'm this or I'm that, uh, they never seem to say I'm a narcissist, but whatever. Uh, yeah. they, they write that stuff in. These are the things I have. This will become one of the things they have. Now it's become, once it's your identity, it again, it starts to remove responsibility for control of your own behavior. It removes free will from the equation. Now you can act like, well, I am a deterministic entity that's programmed in these ways and I can't help it. So you have to let me behave in the ways that I will behave deterministically because it's not my fault. Like yeah. that's, that's, how they, that's how they will cross that gap and they will get to the point of excusing, if they're not already there, map behavior, not just, quote, attraction. There's been a lot of this coming up the map stuff recently. I think that that part of the ideology has, is currently being ramped up. Uh, <laughs> you want to read that one? I'm going to send minute. you a Finish picture. Your thought first. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I think it's currently being ramped up. I'm sending you a picture that's been making the rounds on Twitter as well. And this is from a conference, I believe. Let's see. Beverly, did you get that picture? 
Oh, that's the person, right? Yeah. Mm. And this is this is from you'll see for anybody who is just listening. Uh, <laughs> they've now they're putting map. Of course they are. They're putting map minor attractive persons, aka pedophiles. We used to call pedophiles under the gender identity umbrella. So they you see this uh, person standing in front of a slide, and they're doing a presentation, and the slide says understanding resilience strategies among minor attracted individuals. You know, like if you're gay and you fought for gay rights, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that they've started to throw all this stuff under yeah. you. <laughs> LGBTQ yeah. alphabet. I mean, what a mess. What a mess. Um, someone in chat points out correctly. Well, maybe not technically, but it says identity is conceptual. It's not real. Square Inch points this out. Um, and I would say it is real. It's a concept. Concepts are real, but it's not. Uh, it's not concrete. It's not a. It's not a reflection of concrete. It's a. It's a concept. So it's a construct that you've decided. This is my identity, and you put stuff into that basket. Um, and some things you're forced by biology to put in that basket. Like I'm a white guy. I guess I could try and identify otherwise, but. That goes in my identity basket whether I like it or not. Uh, some people think I'm an asshole. That can be in my identity basket or not, depending on how I want to behave. Right? Like I can decide, well, yes, I'm going to embrace that these people think I'm an asshole and I'm going to continue to behave the way I want. Or I could say, well, I don't feel good about the people who are calling me an asshole, so I need to change my behavior. I don't want that to be my identity. Identity involves choice as a concept. Some of it doesn't, right? Um, but some of it does. And... I think what this person's getting at, what Square Inch is getting at, is this is a choice to say, oh, I have these feelings. I'm now going to make those feelings part of my identity instead of how I would behave if I had tendencies to want to kill people or do other stuff that I don't want to even say. Um, I would behave as if, oh, my psychology, who I identify as, who I, who I want to be, who I think I am – is under attack by these feelings that I don't like. I need to seek therapy and I need to like fix this. I need to go fix this. There's a problem and that's not who I want to be. That's not what I want my identity to be. I, I view this as a, an issue that needs to be resolved, right? I, you stick it outside of your identity and say like, that's not who I want to be. Just like when you get, I know this is a, a trite, uh, maybe an, an incomplete or, or st a stretch of an analogy, but just like when you get angry at someone and you're like, you yell at them in a way that you didn't want or whatever. You do something that you don't want. You can, you can say afterwards, well, that's my identity. That's just what I do. Or you can be like, oh, I was a jerk. <laughs> like, I shouldn't have done that. That's not what my identity is. I need to go figure out why it is I behave outside of what I want to be, who I view myself as. And maybe it's a brain tumor. Maybe it's something else. Whatever it is, it's your job to police that. And, and wrapping that into your identity allows you to not bother policing it. And that's dangerous. Just like it allows you to not bother policing any of these other disorders that people put on Twitter, right? I just wanted to say that when they get around to doing this about murder, the acronym <laughs> is probably going to be Quadticote which is a person who desires to cause others to expire. Oh, interesting. I, you know what? I actually already made an acronym for that on Twitter, but it was different. Yeah, hold on. Let me oh, find it. Yours? Uh, I mean, yours is good too. Uh, hold on. I got to find. Or 
Pratikotpa, person who desires to cause others to pass away. Oh wow, yours are, yours are probably better. <laughs> I gotta find I gotta find mine. Uh, oh, homicidally stimulated person is what. <laughs> yeah, but they don't like that word homicide. You gotta find a. No, it doesn't say anything about the morality of the stimulation. That's true. That's I'm just stimulated by homicide, just like they're stimulated by other immoral acts. Hey, I'm stimulated by yeah, homicide. But they view that word like homicide as having a moral judgment attached to it the same way a pedophile does. So they would probably want to oh, maybe. Replace, I see. replace homicide with something like cause to pass away. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> death stimulated, yeah, death, death stimulated person. I don't know. Yeah, it's something like that. Yes. <sighs> Cause to expire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you're right. Just... Mine's too harsh. Mine's too harsh. <laughs> we have an update from the chat. Thank you, guys. Jason and Maria both went and found this for us. It turns out that picture, can you put that picture back up, Beverly? This picture of the Oregon governor is real. It is not Photoshopped. This is something that she tweeted. No, no. Yes. And she is selling the masks on her website. (laughs) Yes. I I mean, Carrie, I can't. I was damn sure that was not true because. I guess we are in clown, like we're clown world more than I even. Ah. In her defense, if you if you were in that cult that she's in, it she does have a sense of humor, which a lot of them don't. She says it's an ugly holiday mask. Ugly holiday masks are a very 2020 spin on ugly holiday sweaters. Get yours here. And then they're giving $25 from each sale to a food bank. But still. <laughs> <sighs> Just, In her defense, it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. At least she's self-owning intentionally with it. Yes. Uh, so it's a little bit less of a clown world than I thought. But Yeah, still. I'll Fight You Naked says, Carrie, the next time you screw with a Wokey out of business, please record it. I need that in my life. I will second that request from I'll Fight You Naked. I should, right? Usually it's impulsive and there's not a lot of- you're usually with people though, because you have like an active social life. So give your like have someone else be like, look, yeah. look I'm gonna go fuck with this person. Just take a video. <laughs> uh, one of my other favorite things to do. This is just I just think this is very funny. You know when they started t- saying all these different hand symbols and stuff were different codes, white nationalist. Oh yeah, yeah. Code. The judge in the Rittenhouse trial was doing this and got accused of really. Yeah, he was making a point, and he oh got screenshotted. Oh, my goodness. And like, yeah. It's so stupid. There's hundreds uh-huh. of pictures of Obama and AOC and everyone else doing this. It's of so course. dumb. Mm-hmm. Anyway, to make fun of that, I have it in, set in my phone. My, my OK symbol, you know how they also change it so you can pick different races? So my OK symbol is always black, the darkest shade of black. Just so when I make the OK symbol, it's already preset, and everybody knows that I mean OK and not white supremacy, unless the hand belongs to Larry Elder, in which case, clearly it white supremacy. Yeah. black, mm-hmm. white supremacy. <laughs> but, but I was in a group text at my, uh, I was in a group text with a, one of my gig jobs with my boss the other day. And my boss was asking the group of 
employees, is, is everybody okay? Da, 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 da. And people were doing thumbs up and okay. And I did the black okay sign. And then, he, and then, and then I just watched people react. It was just funny. You don't have to say anything else. You just do that. And somebody's what like, they do. wow. Somebody was like, wow. And then another person tried to make a joke about it. It was just that you introduce that uncomfortableness where they're trying to figure it out. And what do you mean? And I was thinking of replying and, and just being like, racist you know but I, I it's actually better not to say anything at all just to do the hand symbol and then watch everybody because it just provokes there's this sarah higdon and i were talking about this there's this tension around issues now that are considered too precious to joke about whether it's race or sex or um all these protected you know identities oppressed identities and for example sarah said she was making a joke recently to someone who asked what if 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 she could drive somewhere and said you know, Sarah, can you drive? And she was like, yeah, of course. I used to be a man, of course. And <laughs> that's hilarious. It's funny. It and, funny. It, and it's a, it's, a, it's a joke based on a sex stereotype. And right. it's, it's got a double punchline wrapped in there because it's a trans joke. And it's just, it's just funny. But the, what's funny about it is, is the fact that like 20 years ago, some of these jokes about race and sex and, and sexuality, I wouldn't have found funny. But now, because the culture has changed to such a degree, these anything that you make taboo and off limits, that's where the best comedy is. And you've made this off limits and you've said you've created a lot of tension around these issues. You've you've made these issues very precious and you've set certain people and certain groups and certain topics off limits. Those are going to be the funniest topics. And and if you want people to quit making jokes that 10, 15, 20 years ago, we wouldn't have found funny that we, we now find those things hysterical. If you want those things to stop being funny, then quit putting up barriers around them and saying you can't have humor around these issues and people will stop finding it funny. Anyway. Yeah, no, I, I was agree. just thought about humor, but. <laughs> the difference between you and me is, you know how the icons are usually yellow? Mm-hmm. I intentionally switched mine to the like completely white guy. They're the whitest of the white. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you went to the black one. I went to the white one. Uh, I have to take a break. There's someone knocking on my door. I'll be back. It's probably the mailman. All right. Let's see what else we have. I don't think we have any super chats we have to do. Nope. Um, let's see. So vaccination stuff, I guess there's, uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but we now have people openly calling for, what country was it? Actually, and someone in chat, remember, what country is it where they're now doing lockdowns only for unvaxxed? Um, there's this tweet by Gene Weingarten uh, from Washington Post, Washington Post columnist the other day. Uh, and he asks, is there a point at which, I think it's a he, he asks, is there a point at which the unvaccinated need to be prosecuted? <sighs> okay, this is one guy uh, making a comment. He's part of the, he's part of the establishment. Um, he's part of the, the cathedral. Aust Austria. Someone wrote Australia. No, it's Aust Austria. Thank you for the 15... <laughs> texts that say Austria and the one that says Australia just trying to throw me off um you know they they whenever you point out where things are going based on principles uh 
typically they mock you about this. Oh, that's ridiculous. You're blowing this out of proportion. All we're asking for you to do is blah, 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 blah. But here we are with Austria, um, now locking down only the unvaxxed. And here we are with mainstream blue check asking about prosecuting unvaccinated. And I don't think that's very far-fetched. I think it's likely um, that we could see that happening, that we can get to a point where someone, someone's going to file a lawsuit, someone's going to get prosecuted uh, for being unvaccinated. And I mean, who knows? I guess the judge sets the precedent on that, uh, how that goes. But it's not unlikely. It's not unlikely. That's where we are. All right. Uh, I think we could probably wrap it up. I don't know where Carrie went. Um, I'm going to look here and see if we've got anything else we need to talk about. I don't see I don't see anything else that we need to talk about. I want to remind you guys of a few things. One is this Friday, we have a Kofefi break this Friday with Mark Pellegrino and Bradley Helgerson. Both of them are intelligent and articulate people. Both of them understand the threat of the woke lefties. One of them is a staunch atheist. The other one is a pastor, actually Carrie's pastor. Uh, so I think that should be an interesting conversation. Yeah, that'll be fine. Uh, yeah, I was just wrapping up, Carrie, because I think we can be done. I bet if there's anything else that you think we should talk about, let me know. Oh, it was funny. Well, um, one of the elders in our church mentioned, uh, told everyone about the Friday episode, but he told people that it was a debate and not that it's not, not that they're not going to, they're obviously all four of us are going to disagree on things, but it was just funny the way it was um, presented. Cause I was imagining like, and in this corner, we have Bradley Helgerson defending <laughs> Jesus. God. And in this corner, <laughs> God, and in this corner, we have the man who literally played Lucifer, Mark Pellegrino. <laughs> and then they're like, dun, 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 dun. But it's, that's not, that's not what it's going to be like. I think if you wanted to do that, Mark would be down. I don't know about Bradley, but I, but I think Mark would be down for that. By the way, I, I, uh, I watched a little bit of American Rust, um, which is the show that he's in now with Jeff Daniels. Oh, and I heard that's good. It's pretty good. But uh, I, so I, like, I watched Supernatural a while ago, but I just didn't remember. Like, I don't know if I even got to the seasons of with Lucifer. And I, I don't really, I don't really know. I didn't know Mark as an actor first. I kind of knew him through the show first. Uh, it's kind of funny to watch someone who's like, even if I know some people disagree with him, but rational, honest, good guy, trying to do like be moral. He plays like a complete douchebag in American Rust. It's kind of funny to watch. It's kind of funny to watch him be a douchebag. Um, but it is a good, pretty good show. Uh, yeah, I, I think he'd be down if you wanted to do uh, <laughs> in this corner. I think he'd be down for that. I don't know if Bradley would like it. Friday, Friday, Friday. I'll bring a foam finger. <laughs> um, one more super chat. James B says, third job now, or jab now, sorry, in the UK for your rights. People are still, zzz, people still sleeping. Yeah. I was, I said this the other day. It's only 15 jabs to slow the spread, everyone. Yeah. Just, it's all right. Just 15 jabs. I know we're wrapping Trust up, me. but just quickly, I don't understand how anyone because i was one of these naive people who thought two weeks to slow the spread that that was something they really meant i was so naive i don't understand anyone who still believes 
that compliance is the way to end this instead of prolong it. It's it's clear. Do you, do you not see what's happened? Compliance has prolonged this. Compliance I mean, makes this last longer. The more that you comply, and they're and they're like, just just comply a little bit more and a little bit longer, guys, and we'll be done with it. No, are you crazy? <laughs> but you got to keep in mind, Carrie. These are the people who are still like, maybe Marx has some valid points. We should try some form of Marxism. It's like, yeah, we have like a century of data and over 100 million dead bodies. Do you want to? Yeah, but we just haven't done it enough. The right person hasn't been in charge. We need to do it. I mean, people are just morons when they need to be. When they when they need to use their intellectual capacity to justify their feelings, they can be profoundly stupid when they want to be. I just, but not all of those people are even, you know, read Marx or believe in Marxism. They're just, they just go along with the propaganda. They, it, it just, it astounds me. I had someone ask me on Twitter yesterday, you know, why are you anti-vaccine? Something to that effect. And and I had to say, I'm not anti-vaccine. Again, I'm not anti-vaccine. That word has been bastardized. I can't believe, do you ever stop and ask yourself how they've changed your definition of, of first of all, of what vaccine means? Well, they Second did change all, it in the dictionary too. Yeah, and they've changed the way that you think about the word vaccine. Think back to a time not that long ago when you thought of vaccine as something that actually stopped infection and transmission that you used to think of it as that now you don't why have you like i'm trying to interrupt the their the brainwashing where you're not even you're not even present you're not even observing yourself and the way that your thinking has changed and they've also redefined anti-vax where you feel comfortable asking me a person who's taken many different vaccines and even vaccines in my adulthood why am i anti-vax when i'm not i am anti this vaccine currently, and that could change. And then they, but, but to this person's credit, they did say, well, okay, well, why? And, and here it is. If I, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but just to lay it out clearly, four points. One, this vaccine has not been around long enough for longitudinal studies. That's a fact. And I had people coming back and saying to me, well, but it's been verified in all these different countries. What? That's verified. That's a fancy pants word that means what exactly? It doesn't mean that you can bend time. It doesn't mean that magically longitudinal studies have been completed. They have not. So nobody knows the long-term effects of this vaccine. Not a single person knows the long-term effects of this vaccine. It is still, by definition, if you look at what the word experimental used to mean, and I've tried to change that too. This is experimental in my mind. Anyone who's taking it has no idea what the expected outcome is going to be. They, we know we know what it, we want it to be, but nobody knows the long term. You have some idea of what you have some be. idea of what it could be. That's true, but it's no. You're not basing it on evidence. You can't point to evidence and say we know for a fact that it has this percent. Uh, adverse effects and that's and it's very low and you know you, you can't point to that because the studies haven't been done the fda you can go to their website they deferred these studies to in some cases to 2027 so that's a long ways out for you to for them to be pushing this shot but there's no longitudinal studies so that makes it very different from all the other vaccines i've taken very different and anybody who Object, how can you object to that? That's a fact. That is a fact that it hasn't been around long enough and that it's very different from these other vaccines in that way. Number two, 
it doesn't actually prevent infection or transmission. That's a fact. Number three, the way in which it's been rolled out with the propaganda, the censorship, the coercion, the bribery, and now the mandates, the authoritarian force, the mandates, that makes me very, very skeptical. I've never seen that happen with a vaccine before. Never. I mean, those three things set this thing apart for me. There was a fourth and I've forgotten it. <laughs> but those three in particular set it apart for me. Yeah, I mean, I, my biggest problem with the real definition of anti-vax is not like it's it's opposing the government mandates is now makes you anti-vax right and so yeah this could be maybe i'll make this clear this could be the polio vaccine and i would be against it yeah because it's being forced by the federal government <laughs> like by the way i'm against it that was the fourth that was my fourth point thank you for mentioning polio smallpox all these other vaccines they keep comparing it to that vi those viruses polio uh smallpox had a death rate of 30 percent you no, know, the death rate of COVID, it, it's not, it's, you can't compare it. It's not the same. It's less than 1%. And we know who's, what makes people more likely to be vulnerable and, 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 and to not be as vulnerable. And so even the way that we talk about this virus, there was a person on Twitter who said, I love, I love what you do. I like what you have to say, except on this. And, I, and I'm very concerned for you. And I hope you don't make, I don't hope you don't get yourself sick by trying to protest. It's like, dude, I've already gotten COVID. I've already gotten sick. I've already had it. Most of the people I know have already had it. A lot of them. It's like, when, when, how did they, how did they get, make us so scared for, and, and this is a bad virus. I agree. And I actually personally think it was, came from a lab. I think they engineered it to be this way, but it's all, it's also not smallpox. <laughs> it's not. And, and we're being told to behave as if it is. And if it were as bad as smallpox, they wouldn't have to bribe us or coerce or, or threaten to take fire people or do mandates because we would be climbing over one another to take this vaccine. Anyway, I've just recently yeah. reinvigorated on this and I- No, I, I mean, look, I, I don't wanna say things that are like, my intuition on this is that it's helpful. I mean, it clearly does, it probably, I'm going to assume some good faith in areas maybe I shouldn't, but let's just let's give them the benefit of the doubt on some things like, look, probably reduces severity, probably help, like it probably does help. Like those claims are probably true, um, probably does help. Probably it's not a big deal in terms of side effects. Probably might be, might not be, but probably it's not a huge deal. Um, I'm willing to go that far. I'm not I'm not scared of it as as that. If this were if this were a disease that was the zombie apocalypse or something massive, if this was like we we met we had an Ebola outbreak, right? Mm -hmm. And it was and it was this um virulent and this transmissible. I'd probably take stuff with some risks. I'd be like, "Well, I don't want to get Ebola." Yes. Like it's I'll I'll take the risk. Right. Um, but it's not that.
but it's being treated like that. And you don't have to yeah. actually even look at cases like me, a guy in his mid forties who, you know, you could say, well, you're in this risk factor, you category, but not and blah, blah, blah. All you have to do is look at how they're treating children. Children are at almost zero risk for this, almost none. And yet, and yet they're recommending and in, in many places in the country mandating uh, vaccinate jabs for the children. Um, and that's just, that speaks to a motive that is not scientific, but that is ideological. And that's what's scary. That's what's scary about it. It's the ideological motive. And frankly, I'd take on a little bit more risk just to be someone who stood up and say, no, you're not, you, I won't comply because signaling noncompliance, uh, I think has value to it. Yeah, I do right? too. Even if it increased my risk a little bit, it would have enough value to probably do. Um, mm -hmm. Because one thing that I'm sure of that's deadly is authoritarian governments. Yes. <laughs> I'm 100% sure that they're deadly. They're deadly. And I'm 100% sure that, that yeah. blind compliance is deadly, absolutely yeah. deadly. That I know. That much I'm sure of. So... Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I don't like making wild statements about it's not helpful. It's not this. It's not that. I, I don't know. My guess is actually probably it's probably mostly okay. There's probably risks that they aren't talking about that we will later find out like, oh, if you did a cost benefit analysis, it wouldn't be rational for everyone to do it. Maybe it would be rational for 80 year olds with some uh, right. comorbidity factors, but not rational for a 12 year old with no comorbidity Right. factors and, the, and there will be a trade-off there that's probably where this will land in the end of the day but uh like i said the big risk isn't this thing the big risk is compliance compliance uh i just sent you one photo to go out on this was shared on twitter this is a mom two moms who posted a photo of their child after having gotten the vax, now that they're now that they're vaxing children, which hey, I don't care what you think of me. I'm gonna I'm gonna call it how I see it. You're experimenting on kids now. It's not enough that adults have volunteered to get a you know get the jab that has no longitudinal studies on long term effects. Now you're pushing, you're sacrificing your kid and push your kid up there. I think that's wrong. That's just I'm gonna make a moral judgment about it. I will. Anyway. Sure. They've just uh, taken their kid to get this vaccine. And it's a picture of the kid sobbing and the two moms hugging the kid. And they shared it because they love this photo. They love it. And Katie Walter is her name. She says, the tears came after the shot, after the Band-Aid. That's a six-year-old crying tears of relief and her two mamas crying tears of joy. Thank you, science, in all caps. Parents. They misspelled Fauci. Yeah, they misspelled Fauci. Parents, we freaking made it. And this picture disgusts me on so many levels because not only are you offering your child up in the name of science to be experimented on and when you don't know the long-term effects of the shot, but you do know the uh, a, a child's risk of death from COVID is less than 0.001, was it 0.001%? I don't, I mean, it depends on the age. I don't know. Yeah. I remember looking it up, but, but it's, it's not comparable to many other. It's not. Probabilities of death. But it's not just that. It's not just that you offered your kid up for this shot. It's also that you 
have terrified your kid for such a long time that your kid is crying tears of relief and that that's the way you've parented your child during this pandemic. I think you're a shitty parent that you subjected your kid to this much psychological torment and terror that they break down in tears of relief after getting this jab. That tells me everything I need to know about your parenting. And I, um, I don't, I'm disgusted. So, and there's lots of this. I was kind of speechless when I first saw it. I'm not speechless anymore. Yeah. I mean, uh, you may not, you, you may not no, have no, I, an opinion as I do. No, no, no. I, I do. I, this is the reaction. If this was the zombie apocalypse, that's the right reaction for a six-year-old who probably would be growing up living in absolute terrified Correct. fear. Correct. That zombies were everywhere, that if they your neighbor bit you, you were you're gonna turn into a zombie or your mom could turn into a zombie. And like it's absolute abject fear. It's like like a zombie video game or zombie movie kind of fear. And the relief that you would feel from yes. getting a vaccine to prevent you from being infected by a zombie would just overwhelm you. Yes. Um that's appropriate. But this stuff. I mean, I don't remember some of the medical conditions that are on par with, uh, on par risk factor wise. Um, I, I could try and pull them up, but it doesn't matter because I haven't talked about them recently for kids. They're ones you've never heard of. Let's put it that way. No one, no one would be, have their kid that scared about some, you know, unheard of medical condition that has a similar for which the kid has a similar risk factor. No one, no one should be scaring their kid that much about that medical condition to the point where they're going to cry getting a, I'm not even going to use the word vaccine, getting a jab that will likely reduce the probability of, of the severity of your uh, infection and maybe reduce some other risk factors, but not completely like no one would do that. No one, it, it, that is child abuse. I agree. I mean, that, that crying that you showed of the kid is like, that can only happen as a result of being, like living in terror for a long time. Yeah. And it's completely inappropriate yeah. uh, for you to, to f- have put your kid through that kind of terror. Think about all the, the issues that kid, that... And I know lots of kids live through all different kinds of abuse. I know. I know. But think yeah, but about we don't the, do it intentionally. We don't we celebrate it. Think about, yeah, think about the problems that kid. Yeah, most abusers, they don't put pictures of the kid they just abused up on social media and brag about it. That Think of all the problems that that specific kid is going to have when they get older. I mean, I think we are, I think we're building a entire generation of absolutely neurotic adults absolutely neurotic i don't know how you could not turn out with massive neuroses being raised like this i mean they're going to be afraid of everything everything yeah because there are things worse than than covid (laughs) like there are worse things and there might be worse viruses in the future um they will be terrified terrified 
Maybe this is how you make agoraphobics. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, um, a final let's do a couple super, super chat. chats here. Oh, a couple. We have we have four, I think, that I'm counting. Oh, sweet. Um, do you want to read one? Go ahead. Uh, if I could find one. <laughs> Zach Adamson. Thank you, Zach. Gives us nine ninety nine. Says I just got home after months dealing with heart failure and a stroke. I'm just happy, even though they can't tell me what happened to cause heart failure. They're sure are sure it was not the vaccine. <laughs> we don't know what it is, but it wasn't this thing. Oh wow! I see. There's sarcasm there. I guess I, you know wow. I'm bad at reading sarcasm. Um, I'm sorry to hear that, Zach. But I'm glad you're home and you're okay. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, who else? Brock Lexicon. Hello, sir. Gives us $10 and says, do you think history will view the Kyle trial as a pivot point where we either went full authoritarian, no more self-defense, or where even woke people realized they were wrong, e.g. Anna Kasparian? Has she realized she's wrong? She did realize she was wrong about a few things. There were there there have been a couple of people. I think it's been blown out of proportion. There have been a couple of people on social media that have posted things to the effect of, "Hey, I didn't realize this whole time. I didn't realize that the people that Kyle Rittenhouse shot were not black, that they were white, and and things like that." And I think people are taking that. In my opinion, it's kind of a hopeful. They're hoping that a lot of people are realizing now that the media lies to you and, and paints a certain picture. I don't think that's true. <laughs> I think this is progressive. Like, you know, every, so what's happening is the, the left is, that mask is slipping more and more. Their authoritarianism is becoming more and more out in the daylight, more and more obvious, less and less subtle. And as that happens, more and more people will wake up, but not everyone, right? So, um, you know, some people will sit around and wait to be told what box tar to, car to get on, right? That's just, yeah. and I don't want to be in their country, frankly. But to answer um, your question, Rock Lexicon, I don't think the Kyle trial is a pivot point. I think we've already pivoted. I think we've already pivoted where self-defense is not allowed. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, again, I would say it's not a, it's a curve, right? It's been slowly becoming mm -hmm. not allowed. And it's been, you know, this is one, in, this is one additional nudge to the second derivative of the curve or whatever, but mm -hmm. it's, you know. Yeah. Um, we've already made that turn. Yeah. Uh, I'll fight you naked says, yes, free will isn't real, but in order to function, humanity must pretend it is. I'm aware of that argument. Um, I kind of, where I fall on free will is I, there's a lot of people I respect who can claim to make good arguments for it, but I know that there is, like philosophically, um, I don't totally follow them, but there are very clear arguments that of the form that you just wrote, which is like, even if it isn't, you need to function as if it is. That totally makes sense to me. I think it is, um, but I can't, it's one of those things that I couldn't actually prove to my own satisfaction because I haven't done enough. There's, there's a lot of arguments against it and like it, it's, a, it's a complex thing and it involves what is the nature of causality metaphysically and all, like it gets, it gets complex and I just haven't put in the time to be able to really defend free will. So I don't try and defend it as, uh, because I don't think I could do, a, do it justly. Um, however, I will say everyone that talks to you assumes that everyone assumes that it's true. So anyone arguing that free will isn't true is a hypocrite because they're arguing with you and like, they want you to change your mind and they think that you're have some ability to switch your mind. Like 
unless if it if it doesn't exist and they're just operating automatically, you just all just sit down and die in the street. There's nothing to do, right? So, um, like, I, and I, and I do understand the arguments about the validity of functioning as if it's true. Um, and like I said, I do think it is true, but I can't make that argument uh, well enough. Maybe someday I will. Um, this is not a super chat, but Dion says comparing smallpox and polio to COVID is like comparing watermelons to peas. I, I kind of agree with that. I don't know. They're both they're both edible. Um, <laughs> they are both edible. It's a degree of size. I guess. Uh, speaking of philosophy, Francis Montgomery says, Carter, do you have any more dystopian predictions for the future? All of your old predictions have come true. <laughs> <laughs> have they all come true? Uh, well, you did say it wouldn't be two weeks. <laughs> I did say, yeah, a lot of them have come true. I, but, I, but it's not just me making them. I'm not like, you know, it's not, it's not just me. Um, I will continue to say I do not think so there's a there's a question of whether the the way that we get out of this is uh like whether we can we can have secession or something like that and save some freedom somewhere and and have a rebirth uh I'm convinced that the United States in its current form will not turn around. It will not there might be like some it, there might be a deviation for a couple of years where it kind of pulls back the other way a little bit but then it will slingshot back. We are headed to authoritarian dystopia in the United States as a whole. There is nothing you can do to stop that. I know it sounds black pill, but that's truly what I, that's truly what I believe. However, I don't think all is lost because I don't think that the United States must necessarily stay together as the entity that it is today. And I, for one, don't care what states are part of whatever you know, governments I'm, I'm subject to. I want it to be free. And if that's just one state, because it's Texas or Texas plus a couple other states or whatever it is, that's what matters to me. I don't really care if North Dakota is part of it or California. Actually, I prefer California wasn't. Um, so it's kind of black pill, but not really. It's kind of white pill. Like I, there are enough people who don't want this to go this direction. We just have to get off our ass and and fight. You have to get off your ass and do the work. I know that's a leftist thing, but like you have to get off your ass and actually recognize that this is this is the place where we are. Um, and some people disagree with me. They want to fight and try and turn Washington around. I just I just think it's a lost cause. Um, but you, you know you can't sit this one out. As we said on was it Friday or whenever you can't yeah. sit this out. We cannot sit this out. And if you think you can sit it out, you will be the one getting on a boxcar. And everybody has different talents. So when you're saying you can't sit this one out, everyone has a different role to play or that they can play different strengths. And not everybody has to play the same role. We need culture makers. We need people who are artists and, and musicians and, you know, filmmakers. And uh, we need people to change the culture as well. And to, and to fortify like our, our founding principles to fortify a belief in, individualism, the things that we used to all share, or at least, you know, when we were more united, I guess, there's things that we've yeah, lost. 
Yeah, again, I don't think for the people who want to go back to the philosophy of 1776, I don't. I don't want to go back to 1776. I think we need to look historically, think philosophically, and say what worked, what made sense, what was what was an internal contradiction from day one, what weren't contradictions, and how do we move forward? Because we have made a lot of progress, positive progress in many areas. Also, we've built a giant state apparatus, which is authoritarian surveillance state. Okay, <laughs> that's a problem. It's a big problem. It can't be ignored. But I, I'm, I don't think we, we rewind 250 years and start over. I think we say, okay, well, great. What are the elements of that? What did they get wrong? Because they did get some things wrong, right? I mean, the obvious example is slavery. Like they, got, they had some contradictions at the beginning. They got some things wrong. So what can we better do to articulate the, the values? How can we build a, uh, a culture which supports those values? And what are the right values moving forward? Let's essentialize and and progress, not in the progressivism sense of the world, but actually in progress, like moral and political progress, which is not the direction that the progressives are going. Um, they're just, you know, they're marching towards the Kremlin or maybe Beijing. Um, so anyway, by the way, um, Lutra says, physical laws of the universe, unless you think there's a spiritual element of some source outside of physics. Right, this is why I can't, like, I don't think there's a sp spiritual element. I understand the physical laws of the universe argument. It has to do with what the nature of causality is, and it's a complex argument, which is why I say I'm not prepared to defend it, but I do, I am prepared to say we ought to act as if we have it regardless. Um, so, all right, uh, one, oh wait, is there another, no, no more super chats. I think we're done, okay. Okay, we'll see you guys Friday. As a reminder. Yes, as a reminder, Friday, then, oh, book club, Sunday. Book club is Sunday. This coming Sunday, you can still join. Let us know. Speak at unsafespace.com if you want to be a part of the video chat, video discussion, but you can also just be in the chat when we talk about the book. Yeah. Um, Beverly's reminding me also, this Wednesday, we have Dangerous Thoughts again. Uh, it's uh, last week. What did I talk about last week? Objectivity. I am going to get to faith this week because Thomas and I were having a conversation about it. I said we were going to talk about it. I will talk about it this week. So we'll do that on Wednesday, which is, what's today, Monday? So two days from now, 5 p.m. Pacific, that will happen. Uh, and I don't know if there's a great reset this week, but if there is, Beverly, post it in chat and let me know. But there will definitely be a coffee break on Friday with, as a reminder, Mark Pellegrino and Bradley Helgerson, both very intelligent, articulate guys, both anti-woke coming from different, we'll say, philosophic slash religious perspectives. So, and it's not going to be a knockdown drag out fight. All right. <laughs> Carrie, have a good day. Thanks. Goodbye. Everyone else, you too. Take care. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy, so go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. 
See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it. To be honest, I am running out of patience with the following individuals. Here's a fun fact. Experts agree that inflation is good for you. As a reminder, self-defense can only be used as a last resort. You are legally required to first see if your death effectively deters your attacker. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.